it's literally every morning. That is my first move. Where's my cell phone? And click on my reveal app. I mean, uh, that's, dude, mine's in the middle of the night. Morning. Like 4 a.m. I'll wake up. I roll over. I start checking it. My wife's the one like, eye, the one eye buried oh, in yeah. the pillow. My like, wife's <laughs> like, what are you doing? I was like, nothing. She's like, turn it off. A Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Deer Grow. Heck yeah, man. Dude, we put a lot of food in the ground every year, you know, seemingly more and more, and uh, we have a ton of fun with it during the off-season. There's some struggles that come with it too, though, right? Obviously, the back of my truck is evidence, you know, right now. It's Mm -hmm. a couple weeks after uh, I jackknifed, you know, a 4,800-pound material spreader, you know, as I was coming down, and it's just too much weight for my truck there. But, you know, all those struggles aside, you know, dude, Deer Grill really has been a staple for our food plotting process uh, for several years now. Yes, we like to put lime and fertilizer on the plots, you know, if we can, but there are some that it's just we're not able to get to them or it's not feasible for us to get out of state with that stuff and so deer grow is kind of the, the quick and easy but still super effective option for us to be able to get the most out of those food plots that we can every year and i mean we're guilty of over analyzing things just like everyone else but that's the best part about deer grow is that it's going to create healthier soils which in turn makes better food plots and the fact is is we can simply spray plot start or plot till when we put the seed in the ground and then when that plant starts to grow we hit it with boost and we know that we walk away when we come back it's going to be a great looking food plot for anybody that's looking to try deer grow if you use the code hunter15 that's h-u-n-t-r-1-5 at checkout for deergrow.com and save 15 percent on any of your deer grow products it's a great way to get started on this and just see what the results are for yourself better food plots bigger deer And we're back. Hey, Hunter Podcast, one fifty one, mm-hmm. Bacardi. When yes. is this going to air? <laughs> mm-hmm. What did you say, Bacardi? Bacardi one fifty one. Oh yeah, yeah. Whoa, mm-hmm. I've got some yeah memories. I don't know if I've actually ever had Bacardi. That one's put me in a hurting. Did to, you go to college, to, Nick? Uh, community college. Oh well, that's where you would have had it for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, community I, college. I didn't really have in the parking lot experience, dude. I I lived <laughs> the dorms three minutes away from campus, so I was never there. Like what? I went for class and then went home. What community college? You could have rented out your house. I know, I know. Uh, Penn Highlands in Johnstown. Penn Highlands, Pennsylvania Highlands mm. Community College. Yeah, it's like. What'd you go for? Media production. Yeah, nice. Oh, coincidentally, what do you <laughs> wow. wow, look at you. Wow. Yeah. Putting it to use. Yeah. <laughs> Putting in the man hours. Money, money well spent. Putting yeah. in the man hours. <laughs> yep. Uh, good you can say your partner now. Yeah. You, you could if you want today. Yeah, I was just waiting for the right moment. So, hey, everybody that's listening, we appreciate you guys uh, for listening and tuning in. Uh, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, or YouTube, um, mm-hmm. give us a follow, subscribe to our channel, um, comment, uh, leave us some some feedback and stuff. We appreciate you guys, and uh, thanks for being here. We are in the heat of deer season as this drops. Nick saying October seventeenth, <coughs> thereabouts, unless we double it up at some point. Yeah, I bet we catch a cold front by then. I would love to catch a cold front it's, by then. I mean, dude, it's all you know. It's ebb, it's ebb and flow. It's ebb and flow, man. You just got to roll with it. We got. I get. We're getting rain at the farm right now. Thursday. <coughs> mm-hmm. Tomorrow is that pseudo. You Front. know, well, pseudo, like, you know, but it's typically the next day. So mm-hmm. Saturday should be perfect. It looks, it's like high of 76, um, you know, bluebird sky, though, that pressure's going to start rising again. Sunday's, you know, probably still good. I'm thinking maybe, maybe even a morning hunt, depending. Yeah. And then we'll probably, we'll probably pull out. Next week looks, you know, 80s. And next week's one of those weeks that... Um you hate to let the opening week slip by, but I mean, it looks hot mm-hmm. and stale. Yeah. <laughs> like throughout. Should be warm. Has that uh, Kentucky buck been shown for you still? Yep. 
He was there this morning uh, again? Not in daylight. He's been there overnight. Mm. But he, yeah, it's back-to-back daylight mornings, like 8.30 and 9.10. I was like, what the? After I was like stomping through there looking for that coyote, too. I couldn't believe it. And you're not um, going back till when? Uh, Next weekend. It's a long time. It's going to daylight again before that, you know. I might go back next week. I'm, I got to go to Ohio next week. I haven't done anything there. I have no idea what's happening there. Okay. So I'm I, next week I'm going to hunt Ohio, but I'm basically going to explore all. We're going to talk about it at a different podcast, but I'm going to explore a lot of the new property that I'm I'm getting into here. Yeah. So um, better take the bow with you. Yeah, I'm going to hunt. Read the sign. Yep. Pick the tree. Mm-hmm. Shoot the deer. It's the plan. But they're going to start cutting timber in probably two weeks, maybe. Yeah, you got time. Take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I got to pressure the on. Next weekend looks like we're going to catch <coughs> another little something. Another little rain something mm-hmm. like Friday, I think. And then yep. it's funny how that w- happens, man. It, I, I don't know if it's like a, uh, it just seems that way. or But it does seem like every year it's like, the weekends always catch the front somehow. Like it's like we're catching do a front. They? I feel like we're always like trying to skip work during the week to go hunt. Well, we do that anyways. <laughs> but I do feel like it's like, man, how they keep falling on weekends. Yeah. It's like at least it seems that way to me. <sighs> it, I, I, we said this, I don't know if it was on the podcast or just in passing. This is like the time of the year where like I have both hills like dug into the ground trying to slow time because I feel like, it, you know, I'll blink and like the first week's gone. And then I'm like, oh, it's mid, mid-October. I got to figure out, oh, it's November. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's coming and it's rolling and it's, it's here. I, I don't quite feel that way yet. I mean, I, dude, that, me shooting that buck early. You shot a buck already. I know. Yeah. I, that, that threw me off The a pressure's bit. way off. I know. I know. Yeah. It's like, okay. I know. Yeah. I know. But I'm pretty quickly reset though. I mean, I'm ready to, oh, yeah. I'm ready to move. Yeah. I feel I I it gives me a peace though. Yeah, I mean I'm not not flaunting at all. But, Absolutely, but uh, it's like oh you're not. <laughs> it's like dude, I only have to get, it, you know, it's a long season, and mm-hmm. I only have to get within 20 yards of that buck one time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's I, it. I just feel good about my my chances. You and know? you've got bucks in Ohio. You're gonna be chasing this weekend. Couple, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that'll Cor- make Corey's gonna be with me actually. So we've got an east wind, which is weird. Um, we, we don't. So they say it'll be east. I, bl- I bet it will be. It's yeah. been a consistent east wind for... Really? Yeah. I has been for about a week. I guess it was east last weekend. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I've got a few setups for east winds, uh-huh. and one of them I feel pretty good about. Is You know what yep. I'm talking? Up, up that road there. Yep. Um, but I don't have a whole lot of setups, so for Dale, Brian, and Dad, we're going to have to... Um, that that thing left has been showing at the scary oak. So I may it's put a good buck. I may put dad up there on a north. Oh, is that scary oak? It's a northeast one. Yep. Huh. Yeah, that's a good buck. Got him yesterday uh, morning and night. It's close. Both both daylight. Mm. Yeah, that's a good spot. Yeah. So he went and bedded right up in there. But hmm. yeah, it's it's happening. So we're filming this early. It's the end of September, but um, Ohio, Pennsylvania opens this weekend. Illinois opens this weekend. Iowa opens this weekend. Um, uh, Wisconsin's already open. Missouri's already open. Kentucky's already open. Minnesota's wide open. Minnesota's Crossbow's wide in full open. Force. Yeah, yeah. Which our guest is in Minnesota, not oh, like all go. the time, but sitting in in Minnesota at the time being. So we got Jay Gregory on today, um, <laughs> which will be yeah, it'll be fun. So I know that was a whoop, not like a police. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jay like looked at yeah. A visor just spun around quickly. <laughs> Yeah, it seems so, to be the officer problem. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the problem, officer. Uh, so, um, but yeah, so Jay's 
uh, what he's getting ready to hump air up in Minnesota. We were just kind of talking. He's just waiting for yeah for the daylight to turn on. Yeah. Mm-hmm, Cuz uh, acorns and stuff and um obviously Jay does a lot of hunting in Iowa as well and uh so we're just going to kind of go through talk about a bunch of stuff. Um Give me a quick refresher and this will be fun to do because I know he can hear us, but he can't chime in. Where, where do we know Jay from? The Wild Outdoors is what his show and, and what he's been doing. Um, and and so, and he mentioned pre-podcast, uh, his son Wyatt is now involved as well. Okay. Uh, so Wyatt's younger than you. Historically, though, like, people know Jay. Like, oh, yeah. when you say Jay Gregory, I'm like, oh, I, kn- I know that. I think Wild Outdoors is, and Jay will tell us, I think Wild Outdoors has been around for a while. Okay. Um, yeah, for a long while. I mean, Jay is probably... You know, and he might laugh at this. I, you know, he's one of the guys who's been around on the outdoor industry. Oh, yeah. TV side for a long time. Well, that's where I'm trying to place it. Was it, is it Drury? Is there like, I've seen him on like other shows. Yeah, maybe he'll, he'll, he'll fill us He'll out. clarify. But yeah, I mean, you talk about some of the original guys with like Mark and Terry and, and Shockey and, and those guys. And, you know, that, that was the group. Yeah. Um, and it, it's kind of funny because we talked pre-podcast that, <clears throat> and, you know, I think he gave some credit to Wyatt there, but. Jay found us via some of the TikTok clips that we do. Uh, he said it's very interesting. Yeah, well, and it's 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 cool to see. Um, into his credit, not many guys I think who have been in the industry for a long time have evolved with the changing media platforms, uh, and Jay has. Sure. Um, which is which is a cool thing to see because I think that's how you continue to be effective and and relevant even in in a lot of the discussion. So, yeah, obviously a lot of our TikTok clips are very. Uh, out of context, I would say, is probably the best way to describe it. It's like, hey, let's take the most controversial piece, but that's what is fun about it. They are what they are. Um, So, yeah. Anyways, uh, bring Jay in. Let's do it. Let's get him. Jay, we got you. Hey, guys. How we doing? All right, man. Doing good. Appreciate you coming on uh, the podcast and uh, from, I guess, way up north, right? Sitting in Minnesota. Yeah. I'm up in Bemidji, Minnesota, trying to wait on a bear to decide he needs to come out in daylight instead of three o'clock in the morning. But uh, it's been kind of haven't even set in a tree yet. I've just been waiting for. You know, I think it's it may be another week yet before it happens. To be honest with you, but wow. um, looking for forward to finally getting in a tree and seeing if we can get a big bear in. But uh, it's been been a little slow. A lot of acorns this year. So, are you in a, a camp or a fa- family property or? My wife is from Bemidji, Minnesota, so we're we have a place up here, and then of course my place in Iowa. So we're back and forth uh, in the summer, and and I was planning on trying uh, to do a little deer hunting up here too, but uh, <laughs> my our farm up here, I I haven't had a buck picture since July, so it might be wow. a little tough. Wow. Well, I know I know Bemidji for its fishing more than probably its its hunting uh, in that location at least, but uh, definitely a cool area of the country. Yeah, it's beautiful up here. I mean, it's uh, and I I have some some friends and people I've met up here, and they they do have big deer. I mean, they they kill some big deer up here. It's just up here you're kind of fighting uh, uh, wolves and and everything else in the harsh winters. So yeah. it's definitely a, a whole new deal for me. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean that we we were talking uh, Skip and Chris Duncan uh, just a little bit ago, and and obviously the big hot topic about uh, Minnesota has been this you know recent introduction of the crossbow side of things. Sorry, I'm about um, to get this out. I'm gonna burst. Yeah, go you ahead. could say I was been a bit midgy. <laughs> That's good. Thanks. Yeah, good good EHD reference for that. Sorry. No, you're fine. Um, but yeah, so the the crossbow thing has kind of been the big 
the big kind of question mark up there in Minnesota of like, what is, what's that going to look like for first state that has a lot of hunters? Uh, obviously the Northern part of Minnesota, I think between the wolf issue and the, in the hard winters has had some, you know, definite pullbacks on the deer population. So it's kind of like, and I think up in that Northern portion, Jay, they're allowing not baiting. Somebody clarified this for us, but you could feed up there now too. Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, to, to to answer your crossbow thing, it's it's ironic that you brought that up because just last night, uh, I got in the arena of uh, <laughs> a TikTok discussion of uh, crossbows and that's a good wow, place to that be. Ugly quick. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you got caught or yeah, not. Yeah, well. I was just responding to a gal that was calling a raven crossbow a raven bow, mm. and I was like. I have no issues with crossbows. They have their place. Mm -hmm. uh, my daughter started with a crossbow. It's a great uh, bridge, you know, yeah. to get them, to introduce them to archery and, you know, getting them close and the shot angles and all that. And I said, but it's, it's a, it's not a raven bow. It's a raisin, raven crossbow, yeah. you know, just like a compound bow they is a compound that. bow, a traditional bow is a traditional bow. But they love that, Jay. They love when you say that. <laughs> But I really touched on a nerve because holy smokes, did that thing blow up? And I had, you know, I yeah. got some ugly responses. I got a lot of positive ones too. But yeah. it wasn't that I was going after crossbows or saying anything negative about them because, of, you know, to each their own. It's like I said, it, a, a deer's dead whether you shoot it with a gun, a muzzleloader, a crossbow, a bow. I mean, dead's dead. It's whatever weapon, you know. And certainly, as a hunting industry, we and hunters, we don't want to be fighting amongst each other. Sure. So, what someone chooses to hunt with is fine. Now, when you get into the discussion about what's it going to do uh, when you put crossbows in with the archery up here in, in Minnesota, I don't know what the answer to that question is. It's certainly going to, it would seem like it would make the, uh, the success ratio should probably will, will rise significantly, I would think. But mm -hmm. there again, you know, I don't know. Boy, we didn't last long, huh? It's been 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Minnesota crossbows, they all went together pretty quickly there. No, you know, it, first of all, the, and I, I guess I don't that know, is kind of the hot topic. Minnesota's I don't know what, a, what it is about the TikTok crowd, but yeah, I mean, you, you say anything slighted towards like crossbows and I mean, they're out the woodwork on you. We don't, we quick. don't read comments on TikTok um, for the most part, Jay. It's, it's been, I haven't read them in a couple months. <laughs> That's for a good reason. Sometimes they're entertaining, but it, it, yeah, I mean, it's it's just very defensive on it, you know, and it's, it, you know, I don't think what you said was out of line. I mean, that's the truth. It's not a bow. It's not. Shoots a bolt, not an arrow. Triggered. Exactly. But, mm -hmm. but there are some, you know, but then you have people that rebuttal it, and they do have some good points. I mean, you know, like I said, well, you know, you're, you're looking through a scope, you're pulling a trigger. And then some guy gets on there and goes, well, you're looking through a peep and you've got a trigger on your release. You know, there's, mm. it's like there's, like you said, they get pretty defensive about mm. that you're trying to attack their crossbow. And it's it's not that. Because I understand there's, you know, there's reasons why people hunt with, with crossbows. And and I'm, who am I to, you know, to question that? I mean, to each their own. Jay so. freaking Gregory is who you are. <laughs> <laughs> I, the, the, the argument that they're, potentially the same as dead and gone for me a long time ago. Like it, it even, you know, the outdoor life article is the one that everybody was sending around, uh, you know, yesterday, whatever on you, Minnesota, yeah. on Minnesota, you probably saw that. And you know, it starts off with just basically some, uh, facts about, uh, how, how many deer have been harvested with crossbows, what percentage of the, t it's 40% so far. And then it goes on to say, um, 
basically how much crossbows are like guns and how that lets you know people who aren't you know who don't yeah don't practice. practice with stuff able to come in so it's you know and it's it's accurate but in the same way it also you know they're kind of <clears throat> shooting that argument in the foot because it's common sense it's like listen a bow requires a, a lot of practice it it requires fine tuning special fitting to yourself like it's 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 fairly high barrier to entry you know which some people will say is that's probably why the three of us love archery hunting i mean if, if you think about yeah, archery because and the so skill hard. and the the up close personal encounter with an animal whether jay, jay with a bear right now or a whitetail or whatever that experience is is something that's pretty magical um and and transparently there are plenty of crossbows that will let you shoot as far as a cheap muzzleloader anymore and so it's like you know, to, to classify them the same, again, they have their place. I, I think for youth, um, obviously disabled, I think for uh, aging populations, heck, even new hunters, I would be fully in favor of it. Like if they've never hunted before, it is a great entry point for any age to get in. But as you get into some of the transition from gun hunting to archery, like that is the message is like, hey, we're going to use this to transition you from gun to archery. It's a transitional weapon. Yeah, it's a, what, it's a good way to say it. Yeah, I just, I don't think that that's right i mark my words i will shoot a crossbow one day i i'm sure. gonna have to like i'm not gonna stop hunting because my shoulders are bad or whatever you know i'll shoot a bow as long as i can and then when that time comes i can't and i'll you know and that's the whole point that's why they're there that's what they're there for yeah and that's that is that, that hits the nail on the head i mean it, it will it's going to allow some people to continue to enjoy staying out there that don't want to gun hunt you know going from their you know they may have started with a recurve then went to a compound and as they gotten older maybe they can't draw the compound anymore, exactly but it still allows them and i see that comment a lot and <clears throat> i totally respect that that's what they're made for i think for those Dude, types of people i've got guys i've had like dale and brian have said to me before like if they're, they're you know and they're not old but they're you know 50s mm -hmm. dale's 60. he's like oh man like y'all i'm having shoulder issues it's like if i have to i might have to shoot a crossbow and he's saying it to me like to get your permission yeah like gen t tenderly he's like mm -hmm. oh you know i just i really don't want to have to do it i'm like what are you talking about, dude? I was like, if you can't pull a boat, shoot a crossbow. Like, that's, that's yeah, what it's for. I don't for. want you not to hunt. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. It's an interesting thing um, on that side of it. But we beat it into the ground pretty hard. <laughs> this morning, Jay, we got off. That's why we pushed ours a half an hour. We're talking <laughs> to Chris Duncan and, and Skip Sly about a, a lot of things, you know, from EHD to, uh, you know, but a, a big part of that conversation was the regulation, state regulation on crossbows. Minnesota came up. So yeah. we, we just beat it into the ground for about three hours this morning. So mm, it's fresh on the top of the mind. <laughs> it's fresh in there. Yeah. Well, I, I think that, you know, so Jay, I know, um, well, I guess let's start on this. Jared and I kind of just during that little opening, we're back and forth. Um, your background or, or how you got into this thing, you know, I'm familiar with the wild outdoors. That's kind of like how I, I understood who Jay was and watched Jay, but um, I guess, what was it even before that? I mean, how did you as Jay Gregory even get into this? industry right we asked that to well, everybody well this is our 32nd year just to give you an idea so wow. I, I might be shooting a crossbow here <laughs> so but yeah the, the way it started for me it was more of a a, a hobby um mm -hmm. just taking a video camera out um at the time i had a friend and we were filming each other whenever one we'd go somewhere to hunt and one of us would kill the other one would jump in the tree with the camera and we were just playing around as it turns out um there was a sporting goods store in Kansas City, and I was showing the guy the VHS tape of a deer that we had shot on video, and he knew Mark Drury because at the time Mark was a sales rep 
for a company. I can't remember, but this is way, way, way back when. And he showed it to Mark. Well, the next thing I know, Mark calls me and they had done, I think a couple turkey videos at the time. We we're thinking about getting into the whole deer video industry. And we got to talking, we hit it off, we met. And, and um, so it, as things evolved, uh, that's kind of how I got started was just in the video industry. And um, I, I was a golf professional at the time. I'd gotten out of school. I went through the PGA program. So I was working as a head professional at a club. And one of my members showed me an article out of St. Joe, Missouri that said that they were looking for a TV show host. Well, I'd already been doing this video thing. And so I got this wide idea that I would go get a meeting with the, the head of the TV station in St. Joe. And I did. And somehow I convinced him I knew what I was doing. And I had absolutely no idea. <laughs> But I got the I got the gig, and so we started the Wild Outdoors on an ABC affiliate in St. Joe, Missouri, and our ratings were really good there. And as that went on for about three or four months, then the Outdoor Channel came to be, and I sent a pilot show into them, and they took our show. And 32 years later, we're wow. still doing it. So it's been a it it's been a very um, things have changed a lot in 32 years. Trust me, as as with anything, but I think as much so with our industry, as you were talking about earlier, is social media has changed everything. You know, TV was king, and I was lucky that I was in it for those really good years. Well, now things are totally different. You have, you know, you have Facebook, you have Instagram, you have YouTube, you have Twitter, you have all these things, and TikTok, and, you know, we we live in a culture right now of it's what have you done for me in the last five minutes? You know, yeah. it used to be... You know, we would film our hunts, and then I, I remember as a kid, I, I couldn't wait till July 1st to get there so I could run to the video stores and rent all the videos that were coming out, all my favorite guys, you know, the uh, the Gene and Barry Wenzels of the world, and, you know, Bow Hunting October Whitetails was the first video that I ever watched. It just made me go, wow, I would love to be able to do that mm -hmm. and share my hunts with people. So it, things have just changed, and now, as you all know, I mean, if you want to watch a grizzly get killed with a, a longbow, just type it in on type YouTube it in. and it's there and you can watch it right now. So with our show, um, we've kind of decided over about the last four or five years that we're, we're doing everything pretty much live. Now, everything we film where why it goes in and edits it within a day or two. And we're getting it up on uh, our YouTube channel or Facebook or TikTok just to keep people involved and, and, keep them with what's going on. And then we re-edit that footage whenever our TV show airs, you know, July through the end of December. So it's a lot more work now. Uh, in some ways it is, it is very rewarding because you get instant feedback from people and, and it's a lot of fun. And I enjoy watching some of these others. Uh, I just noticed that Bill Winkie's getting ready to do a, a deal on his, uh, on his channel on TikTok to update people on every week. And that's a guy I'll watch. I mean, mm -hmm. I totally respect everything he's ever done. And he's like one of the, you know, he's been one of my mentors that I've always looked up to over the years. So it's cool to be able to go to these social platforms and get other people's perspectives on what's going on in certain areas and, and taking their feedback from years and years and years of experience. And, you know, so it's, it's a, for the, for the guys growing up and all the kids that are just now starting to hunt, it is such a different world than it was when I first started. Uh, I mean, it's just, there's so much information there. And, and if you, if you're willing to listen and learn from it, 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 it jumps you to the head of the class real quick when it comes to figuring these big deer out. 
Man, it's it's fun. I was pretty young for it. I know you lived through the mess of it. Jay was one of the the guys that we're talking about here, but like the heyday of like that's the, what I was the, about the TD industry. Like just to think back, like again, I was pretty young at the well, time. Well, like I know, I think Jay, we probably actually crossed paths at like um like the Golden Moose Awards, and yes. I mean that was an event. Yeah, I mean. It was a big deal, a freaking, it was a legitimate award event. E- even the ATA <laughs> event itself. I mean, it was yeah, like, ATA it was, was celebrities amongst like industry it was the greatest. Yeah. I mean, it was one of the greatest shows you could attend every year was to be at those shows. Um, it was, that, that was, I tell people about that, of what the Outdoor Channel used to be like and the events and the money they spent on it. It was, it was like the Academy Awards yeah. of the outdoor industry every year. And I was fortunate to win a few of those Golden Moose Awards and it, to get to go up and can't tell you how nervous you were to go up in front of all of your uh, all of your peers out there that and and give a small acceptance speech from the for this Moose Award that you got. It was it, and it really it set a level of the bar very high for everyone was trying every year to to win a Golden Moose Award. You know, mm-hmm. that was a big deal. And of course, now they're they're done and gone and it, it doesn't matter anymore. But. Yeah, those were very, very cool days. Yeah, I mean, that that time frame, um, it, it's really weird because if you think about, to your point, Jay, the amount of content <clears throat> that's available to anyone and, and even the quality of content. I mean, it's there's great content every day being released, but there's this kind of, um, when we've talked about this in the past, there was this controlled aspect of the release in the heyday with TV and things like that. So you anticipated a show coming out on Tuesday night at 7 p.m. on Outdoor Channel or, or whatever it was. And I think the way that controlled release happened and the way that people, the anticipation and, and the engagement around that content was just off the charts. And there are some very successful people still today with the way that the modern content is released, but uh, I don't think you'll ever touch what that used to be like um, no. because it just, it, it was you know, in a weird way, it was unmeasurable because it was, um, but you just knew that somebody else was tuning in at seven o'clock on Tuesday because that show was about to come on. And, you know, that's what you watch. That's that's what people were tuned into. Yeah. And there was no way to cheat and see what it was coming on before the fact. I mean, that's it. that was it. That was the premiere of whatever you were going to see. That was the first time anyone was going to see it. It hadn't already been aired on TikTok or Facebook or YouTube or whatever. So yeah, it was just a totally different, uh, different time. I, I, I tell, you know, Wyatt's 26 years old, so he kind of remembers it, but not, you know, he, we talk about that stuff all the time, but how much things have really changed. And, and, uh, it's a, but I, I also like, I mean, where things have went now, I mean, it's, a you know, there's a lot of information out there and a lot of cool things to watch. And, you know, we just have to change with the times, you yeah. know, just cause I'm getting long in the tooth doesn't mean I, I got, I, I can't stay back in the, the way things used to be or I'll be out of the industry. So you kind of got to change with, you know, roll with the punches and, and move on. Well, I mean, to that point, Jay, you know, if you think about a lot of those people in the heyday side, um, they're not nearly as relevant anymore. Uh, a, a lot of those people just refuse to evolve, um, with evolving media and, and, or they, you know, maybe they built their lifestyle around that TV money support, which is no longer like that anymore. And so there's been so many different changing of the guard per se in what it used to be and to what it is today. Yeah, for sure. You know, I remember to me when I really saw things starting to change 
was I remember this small show that Wyatt was telling me about called The Hunting Public. And whenever they started getting big and they start doing what they were doing, they literally changed everything for yeah. everybody, I think. Um, or they were the first one to really start that and, and get things going in a, a up-to-date, everyday kind of thing. And, mm -hmm. and that, that's kind of where we're at now. I'll push no push back i'll add to what you said there i think even before that jay was i think bill winky who you mentioned before was yeah probably yes. like the the godfather of like the online show right he was one of the first yeah. ones to do it absolutely mm -hmm. I, I forgot it i was just thinking of what wyatt when, when wyatt brought to me the hunting public because i'd never heard of it. he's like dad you gotta watch this but, one yeah, certainly bill, those... bill winky was so far ahead of his time yeah that uh, uh just incredible what he did and and honestly we knew what he was doing back when he was doing it and we were all i was kind of like well that's kind of over yeah i you know, but he was way ahead of the curve. He knew what was coming, you know. Absolutely. So. Apparently. Yeah. And you're right, though. The hunting public has taken that, obviously, to, to, to a whole new level, you know. but Well, the hunting public one. So, uh, absolutely. Bill, Grant Woods with Growing Deer. Like, those guys on that digital front really kind of It was set, those two. It was Grant <laughs> set, Woods and yep. it was Bill Winky. Yeah. But even during those eras, if you – because I had the conversation. I don't know if it was producing content or working with a client. But um, when we would talk about YouTube to sponsors, they didn't care because YouTube was a free platform, they weren't going to pay you money to be on YouTube. That literally is what they were telling you. And yep. then all of a sudden, guys like the hunting public start to take off. And look at it today. I mean, today, people probably favor your YouTube numbers more than they favor whatever happens on TV at this point. It's crazy. Ten years ago, it was TV, and then all this other stuff was just a sidebar. Yep. And literally now, TV is... TV seems it's gotten better in the last two or three years, but boy, it, we went through a patch there about five years ago where, I mean, they were more, way more concerned with your social media than they were with the TV. It was, it, things have kind of switched, you know, TV's mm -hmm. kind of the sidebar to all the other stuff. So, mm -hmm. and now you just, you have to do everything, you know, right. it's kind of twice the work for half the money, but <laughs> for real, kind of seems like how the world goes anymore <laughs> for real. Yeah. And it needs done like right now. It, it's been interesting to like ob observe that I guess even from my perspective, so mm -hmm. Jeremy owns a, a media company in the you know, hunting industry. I worked for Jeremy for like seven years and it, it, so just if I, my perspective on mm -hmm. it is interesting. It's like, man, there really was a division. Like it started probably with bill and with grant and then I was I was getting ready to leave probably by the time the hunting public was mm -hmm. was really taking swing, but you could see not only in conversation, you know, observing the content that was where it was pretty obvious, but like behind the scenes talking to the sponsors or you know manufacturers who really control you know the dollars in the industry because of how everything is structured. It was funny to see the division there too. Like there was really like they didn't know for years. I mean, dude, it's there's been like a, a five or ten year stretch here now where. There, we've gone from like, I don't know what to do to like, some have fully gone one way. Some have fully dug their heels in the other. And mm. so it's kind of an interesting place that we're at now, um, to see like, not only how content has changed, which I don't know for, for better or for worse, it is what it is or it's more accessible, but it's less like in the heyday, like you said, but it, it's also, I think positive in the sense of like, you know, the, the quality of products and information that's around them. Cause you know, if you'd say one double-edged sword or one potential negative that came with everything coming through the outdoor channel was there were some shitty products that got promoted, right? They just kind of slapped them, slapped their self on and that doesn't have the budget. 
Yeah, they had to budget, and it was part of a bit a conglomerate or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that I don't think happens as much anymore. Like you know, there's a little bit more transparency, I think, on uh, yeah. the intentions of manufacturers, the quality of their products and stuff. There's there's less like uh, snake oil getting you know sure. getting slung. Yep, I agree. It's uh, the companies. She's. Uh, I have to be careful how I say this. Uh, <laughs> we don't want to put you in the hot seat, Jay. <laughs> Yeah, you know, there's, and, and manufacturers, like people that that maybe sponsored us um, at WeWork with, they were always looking for, and I think a lot of companies got burnt really bad. There was a stretch in there where these companies, you know, there were, there were people that were producing that were coming to these companies that maybe we had worked with for years that had come to them and make all these incredible promises. We're going to touch this many people. We're going to, you know, we're going to have this many eyeballs, this many eyeballs. So a lot of these companies just went full in on that and they got burnt really bad because what people started to figure out is that, you know, eyeballs are one thing, but eyeballs that matter that Mm -hmm. actually might buy your product are two totally different things. And you have to be able to discern between that. And, you know, just because, you know, one guy's got 5 million people that he showed that he supposedly says can see your product. And then you've got somebody else who's got a hundred thousand dedicated viewers that are hunters, you know, how many of those hundred thousand are going to actually buy that product? And how many of those 5 million are even going to know what it is, you know, and that's kind of, that was, yeah. That was one of the reasons I'm sure they have to, they have to uh, figure out. Well, that dude, that was the biggest conundrum. Like if you walk around ATA show and you would talk to these, like, that's why we started Zomra media is I knew businesses who were getting pitched. I, I called it snake oil. They were getting pitch yep. numbers and well, showing all these say, numbers. Here's household numbers. Here's my run track numbers. And it's like, and then we had our own questions about yeah. that and stuff. Or they would show me social media numbers. They're like, look, we've got 555 million impressions. And I'm like, okay. Like, yeah. But but people were buying into that because there were numbers that the industry had never seen. Couldn't even fathom what those Dude, were. Dude, the, the feeling was so funny. Like people did not know. You remember no walking idea. around and you talk to different manufacturers and they'd be like, they would act like they did because you know all them guys are you know have a whatever bean counters yeah yeah like a stature about them or whatever but you know they didn't know they didn't know they're like well you know we got to reserve this much budget for this but we we want to try this and you know they'd pick some random people it seemed like and try and like nobody freaking knew what they were doing when it came to like where to put marketing dollars no a lot of them still don't i think that was that period jay like right at the end of like where i think tv really had its stronghold and digital was kind of making that charge it just everything was like uh, basically a figure eight it was so messed up in the industry that like people didn't want to cut tv because they weren't sure what was happening but then there were all it was these, solid had been. yeah there are all these digital opportunities that were brand new and it seemed like that's where the place was to be and and at that point things like facebook and youtube like if you had channels going and pages going your growth was astronomical right that was before all these algorithm crashes and things that came down that restricted a lot of our stuff so you like you had substantial growth happening, and, and these manufacturers are sitting here with the same budget that they've been spending, and they're like, "Well, we're gonna have to cut a or two TV shows to take that budget and put it over here." They weren't making new budget, right? It was just we're gonna have to cut something, and that was the first time I really thought I heard in the industry about shows getting cut and people getting dropped, and now this person's over here, yet they told me this broadhead was the best last year. What you know, it it really shook the industry up. You know, I don't know for the uh, probably for the worse. 
Oh, it's a, I, I'm sure. I mean, I'm one of many shows that went through. I mean, uh, I can tell horror story after horror story of, of uh, companies that promise you the world, sign a contract, uh, multi-year contract, and then just on a whim for no reason. I mean, they wouldn't give you any, uh, any idea it was even coming, just cut you. And then, I mean, contracts are worth the paper they're written on. Exactly. I mean, it doesn't matter. If yeah, what are you going to do, sue them? It, it's I gonna... found out over the years I am much better off. to. And, and the way I started my business was I knew every individual owner of every company I worked with. I had their cell numbers in my phone. I could call them and I could talk to the owner. As things progressed into this area you're talking about, it was no longer that. It was now these big corporations that were buying all these companies up. And mm -hmm. I never, I didn't know anybody. So yeah. I was a nobody, basically. Well, now as, you know, come full circle in the last three or four years, I'm pretty much now every company that I'm involved with, I have the owner of that company in my cell phone and I can call and talk to them directly. I know that those people, you know, give me enough respect that if something does have to change, they'll call me and say, Hey, you know, Jay, we, we're going to have to cut our budget. We have to do this after that. But you know, it wasn't that long ago where you just get cut. I mean, out of nowhere. And mm. they would generally love to wait till the season was about over before they'd let you know that way that they ensured themselves that their product would be shown on the TV shows the whole next following year. So it was, it was ugly for a while. It really was. And, and there's, you know, it's, I guess it's that way with every industry. It's not just the hunting industry, everything out there. People well, the, are always going, you the, know, there's going to be, there's snakes in every industry. Sure. Well, the whole, and, and we're not immune to it for sure. The whole dynamic is, is interesting and, and fairly unique to like, I mean, I would say uh, like extreme sports for the most part, like, you know, the sponsorship model, mm -hmm. it's, it's not like traditional advertising, you know, like where essentially it would be if, you know, whatever rage broadheads went to outdoor channel and said, Hey, I want to advertise on your channel. That's easy, right? There's okay. We'll do it on a CPM basis. You know, here's how many times it gets aired. Here's what it costs. When it comes to partnering with like individuals, you know, and, and doing specific sponsorships with shows and stuff, like it's, it's, it's way, too, it's way more intimate in, in some ways, but it, and it's also like, it's not nearly as straightforward. It's like, we can't say, I mean, we can, and everybody did for a long time, try to say, okay, well, here's how many impressions I get per quarter. Here's how mm -hmm. many, this, this, and that, but it was nearly impossible. But dude, those numbers are so dynamic and they're interpreted like in so many, in the most cases wrong, you know, ways. That it just, it really does have to, it seemed like, be more about the relationship with those people. I mean, that's what Jeremy and I do with a few mm -hmm. of the sponsorships that we have is it's, 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 it's way, you know, the barrier to entry is it has to be a product that we, one, already use or two, genuinely believe in. Um, and then secondarily, it's like, it's, it's got to be about the relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, our deliverables are pretty loose, transparently. It's like, we're going to include you yeah, and talk about it. we don't, we don't have any. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, you want to be, are you in or are you out? Yeah. You want to be a part? We'll do it. Yeah. Well, I think it also kind of revolved around at that time how products were being sold. Because you got to remember, direct-to-consumer and things like that were not very popular. Massive change. You know, six, eight, ten years ago. And, and so everything was pretty much retail. And so besides Jay being, like, shooting something for, like, a commercial for a company... Like they really weren't using Jay's content to help market anything else they were doing. Now today, I mean, one of the biggest values my clients would ever even see is give me great content that we can use to market our products. That's what I want. Check, check this out, dude. Maybe for the first time ever, it may have been the case last year. I don't think I bought a single thing for my hunting season from a retail store this year. 
I, oh wow! The the last kind of hanging things would have been uh, we bought. Well, we had Tim and those guys set up bows. I don't know. Well, we yeah, but that's anything. a pro shop. Yeah, that's different. Okay. Um, the last kind of lingering things would have been my scent stuff. For whatever reason, I used to go to Dicks and mm-hmm. I would get like my uh, my scent away mm-hmm. body wash, yeah, your earth whatever and stuff. And stuff. Amazon, mm. even like uh, Knox, Amazon. Yeah, yeah, there's crazy. I don't go anymore. It's a different world, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think that's that. You know, the one thing we we talked about ATA show <clears throat> as this content kind of changed and the way that the media changed. The one thing that I think really did take a big negative impact was the way that products were introduced to the community. I mean, again, you know, not to date ourselves, but te- what, even ten years ago. You went to ATA show, there's literally bows in cages and rattling and like releasing these bows. You know, now I, what most of your new bow not, models are released like now, <laughs> like there, you know, there is no anticipation. It's just like, you know, all these people are shooting and filming stuff. And then next week, here's the new bow for this year. And it's all digital. Here it is. And cool. You can order it, you know, in early 2024 from your dealer. That's it. There is nothing else around it. Well, speaking of the ATA, you know, it, obviously it's kind of like reverting back to what the outdoor channel used to be. The ATA used to be the biggest party in the industry. Everybody went, yeah. everybody hung out, everybody was a big family. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a deal. Now, last year I did go to the ATA last year. I think that was the first time I'd went in like three years. And it's after going, it's just kind of like, pretty bleak. You know, I don't know how these companies can afford it's so expensive to go for one thing. I know. And most of the people that I talk to have already ordered all their stuff. They know what's coming in for the next year before they ever go to the ATA. So I don't know. It's I'm actually shocked that the ATA is is hung in there as long as it has. And it's not that I want it to go away because I think it's really cool to go and to see all the product. But with all the companies that keep pulling out every year, and not going it's you know i don't know it's just i think it's like you said buying your stuff on amazon you know i i think that's finally taken its toll on on the ata they, they need to like accept their fate and it's not that they're you know dead and gone but like people want to go to that show and there are people that would enjoy interacting with people they need to open it up like as a consumer show yeah, to the consumer. And, 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 i agree and incentivize uh you know industry professionals in this modern age to come and uh, yeah, be at your booth with your be a part of that. And yeah. Stuff. Oh, it, it would kill it. I mean, they had a chance. Um, you know, COVID kind of threw that curveball into everything. They had a chance of a reset there to say, hey, listen, whatever, we're going to do an industry day on, you know, Thursday and then Friday, Saturday, it's wide open to the public. And they didn't pull the trigger, you know, and, and I, I, this year they're moving it for the first time. Now it's going to be, or it hasn't been there in a while, but back to St. Louis, like downtown St. Louis oh, or something. Are they really? Um, you know, and it it, oh. it, it, I just don't know what that's going to look like because you walk around that room and the, the people and the manufacturers that you used to see, they're not there. I mean, when your biggest bow manufacturers are basically all pulling out and it's a bow show. Have they all pulled out? Um, I mean, yeah. all but a couple. Yeah. PSE is still there. Prime's still there. Bear. Bear's still there. I know Hoyt Matthews. Maybe elite. I don't know if there's well, the the well, the entire premise has changed. Like at one time, it was an industry show where retailers could go and connect connect with manufacturers and like see new products and, um, you know, get their purchasing in for the following year. And like that's doesn't gone ha- doesn't happen yeah, at doesn't all happen. anymore. You know, that's all that stuff is done remotely and it's you know it's easy. 
Um, so, but what's left is people still want to, I think, interact with, with the industry. Like they want to have like some exposure to that. And, and, and the industry folks do too, like that family, you know, yeah, man, we yearn for that element stuff. you were talking about is like everybody that has been to ATA at one point or another would say, yeah, I'd, I'd go back for that. You know, if it, if it could be what it was, I don't think we need the manufacturer retailer relationship for that to still take place. Uh, as to your point earlier, I, I think they should have opened this thing up to the public a long time Years ago, ago because I think that would have maybe maybe kept the fire lit a little bit more. Um, you stick a bunch of, you know, those are the people that are really, truly excited about archery mm -hmm. and stuff or, or the, just the general public. They want to come see all those products and see the personalities that they've been watching you know, through social media and TV and whatever for uh, forever, just meet them and say hi to them and, and then meet the reps, meet the, you know, and see all the products and the excitement going on around it. And I, I think they just missed an opportunity there. As you said, it's, it's just, uh, the industry has just gotten so much smaller mm -hmm. and with all these people pulling out, it's like, I, in fact, it was, it was like a ghost town when I went last year. Yeah. It was just, it, I was in shock. I was like, wow, I cannot believe that it's come to this now. We walked it in like four hours and we're like, now what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's go to the bar. It, it's, it's really a shame. Cause it's like, you know, um, like, like the outdoor channel is another example of, and, and I know it's still there on like MOTV and stuff, but it's like, there used to be these places like in the heyday of stuff, there was these places that we could all go, whether it was virtually or in rea you know, in reality with ATA and show and stuff and, and everybody could be together, like at mm -hmm. least for just one time or, you know, like you said, tuning into the same show at the same time. It's like there, there was a sense of like, there's a, there's a, a body of sportsmen here that like without these things is they're kind of dissolving. Like I know those people are still out there. We talked to a lot of them We're on just our podcast and stuff. at this point. I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to is it's spread so thin across, you know, the content space uh, because you see it. Like we, we talk with those guys and Jay, I'm sure you're familiar. Like Iowa deer classic, walk in Iowa deer classic. That place is bumping. We're going to go. This it's year. cranking. We're gonna, it'd be a, we're going to go this year yeah. for our first time. So, I mean, it I clearly, hope. clearly like there's still a pulse for this stuff. It exists. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see what those futures of those kind of shows and stuff, um, you know, play out here over the next, you know, year or so, even shot show, shot show is super expensive and, you know, I understand the firearm and tactical side of things, but from a hunting angle, I don't really know if you have to be a shot show anymore. I had this really dumb idea like four or five years ago, probably longer than that. I'm like, one thing I don't understand is why did the ATA and the shot show not combine forces years and years ago, put it all in one building in Las Vegas where people love to go yep. no matter what. I mean, people love to go to Las Vegas and have it all under one roof. And okay, I understand that the majority of it, there is guns and knives and all that stuff. But, you know, you're kind of, you know, the archery industry, I think, missed an opportunity there to open themselves up to new consumers who maybe weren't interested in bows and all, and yeah. broadheads and scents and clothes and all that, that might just happen to be walking through. But for some reason, they never could put that together. And the amount of money, I, I remember some of the companies telling me what it cost them to just go to the ATA or just go to the shot show. It's crazy. And it was mind boggling. Yeah. I mean, the amount of product they had to sell to just pay for that space was incredible, but for some reason they would never do it. And I I've heard stories that it was egos and, you know, and the ATA didn't want to be involved with the shot and shot didn't want to be, 
I don't know what the truth there lies, probably somewhere in, you know, in the middle of that, but it sure would have made sense to me if they would have done that. I think it would have made a sense to a lot of people. And I know companies would have been tickled to death. So I I don't know who is actually doing it, but this year there is an archery pavilion at eight or at shot show. Um, I want to say it's, um, sponsored by Raven. No, (laughs) it could be good. Uh, I want to say it's like the, um, what is it? Archery business or something? It's not ATA, right? They, like ATA is still doing their thing, and now um, I, I think it's Grandview Media is who it is. So, anyways, they're gonna have an archery pavilion. It's probably gonna be over at like Caesars when the main thing's over at Sand. So it's still gonna be disjointed and stuff. But you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But l- let's just say you are gonna do that. You sure as hell aren't gonna do ATA as well. There's there's no, no way that you're making a return on investment there. Um, so I think that's probably, that could be the kill blow to ATA, to be honest. Um, because I mean, downtown St. Louis or Vegas, <laughs> I mean, yeah, pretty, pretty easy, <laughs> pretty easy decision there. <laughs> I mean, it, in fairness, like, I mean, how much archery stuff can, can you really see? Like, I, I'm personally not like, you know, if it came down to like, well, it's, you know, the Ohio big buck classic and there's the mm-hmm. Iowa or whatever they're called deer ass. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they had the archery companies there mm-hmm. in a smaller capacity. Mm-hmm. Fine. Yeah. Fine. I I guess yeah. I don't need like a dedicated archery show like sure. Bow Arrow Release Rangefinder. Like that's what I need. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, you know, you'd like to have the, I don't know, maybe it does dissolve and it just turns it does, into that. It does and, seem like the consumer show thing post-COVID really picked back up. Like I almost felt like they were kind of teetering off prior to COVID and then we all get locked away. We're not allowed to see each other. And then, so when these shows happen, it's like, boom, we all rush. Like we do Great American Outdoor Show here, and dude, that thing is crazy for eleven days or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it is insane in that building. Yeah. And it's because yeah, people want to see that. There's another example of what uh, a consumer show. <laughs> Huge. The ATA, you would have thought, would have at least looked at that one and said, you know, these guys have a show that lasts for nine days, or however long it is. I've done it a couple times. Yeah. It, like it's like a month and a half up there, <laughs> and it's like, but it's it's wall to wall. People I know. coming through there, and those com- those people that are there that have booze, they are moving product. I mean, yep. they're selling stuff, for sure. So, yeah, man, it's wild. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Hoyt Archery. Oh, dude, it's almost fall. You and I are both going to be in a tree stand with brand new Hoyt bows. We're going to be shooting the RX-7 carbon bow this year. I know Hoyt's also got the Venoms out, both equally smooth shooting quiet bows. Heck yeah, man. We got a convert on our hands this year. We got a lifelong crossbow guy with a vertical bow in his hands for maybe the first time ever, a good friend of mine. And uh, we've got them all decked out with uh, the inline accessories uh, from the QAD integrated ultra rest uh, to the quiver. And also he's got the SL sidebar mount with a couple of stabilizers from Hoyt as well. So that's going to be a sick shooting bow. Yeah. And Hoyt's been cool enough that anyone listening to this can save 20% on any of the soft good apparels online using the code Hunter, H-U-N-T-R, no E. Uh, And if you want to look at the latest lineup of Hoyt bows, check out your local Hoyt dealer. Get serious, get Hoyt. I don't know. It, it, it's it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But you know, I think that um, it, it, the the manufacturers especially are are going to face more and more challenges here over the next few years with 
you know, you can only move so fast. Right. And I feel like at right now, to your point earlier, Jay, like we're moving almost as fast or faster than we probably possibly can. Like they want stuff yesterday, you know, they're putting this out tomorrow and then the next day they have already this scheduled and the next day this is scheduled. And it's like we're moving so fast that I don't know if the consumer is actually able to consume what we're putting out there because it's just, you know, cranking, cranking, cranking all the time. Uh, I think at some point that's going to, you know, our attention spans are going to yearn for more and more stuff. And there's only so much stuff you can put out. That's going to be effective. It's um, almost like it desensitizes you. Absolutely. It, it's kind of like, you know, I get to have these discussions with Wyatt because he's, you know, he's your guys' age. He's, you know, he's, uh, he's 26. He's the younger generation <laughs> coming up. And I'm like, you know, we have this discussion all the time, you know, killing big bucks used to be a big deal. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not a big deal at all anymore. I mean, it's who cares? So what? You kill the 190. Well, there's guys killing three 190s a year. And that's funny, know, man. To kill a 200-inch deer doesn't matter anymore. Ugh. You know, if you're if you're a deer farmer and you got enough ground and enough money, you're going to kill 190s and 200s multiple every year. And <laughs> it used to be a big deal on video. Now it's not. And especially with all these different platforms and whatnot, it's just a it's a different world. So we as producers have to figure out, okay, what is it that the general public really wants to see? What will keep them interested? How can you keep them uh, to where you're relevant that they want to watch your content? It's obviously, everyone wants to see people kill big deer. Right. I still, that's my goal is to kill mature deer and big deer. Yep. I know in reality that, you know, I don't have a 200 inch deer to hunt. I don't mm -hmm. have a 190 to hunt that I know of right now. Now I, I'm fortunate. I live in the state of Iowa where one could walk by, Yeah. but my tracks are small. I'm hunting deer that are passing through, you know, it's just a reality, but so I got to try and, you know, bring things to the consumer or the person that's watching my content that if nothing else makes them feel like I could do that, or they can relate to what I'm doing or, what we've just done or what we're talking about. I don't think that a lot of it anymore that's out there is relatable to the yeah. general public of, of killing these giants and bunches of them every year. And it's the same story, you know, in the pictures and the this and that, and, you know, and it's just, it, it's just about money. If you got enough money and enough acres and you're a deer farmer, you're going to kill big deer. Period. That's it's fine. not that hard. <laughs> so Jay, when you look and I, I completely agree. It's, it's funny. I mean that <clears throat> it really does come down and it, it pains, it pains us to say that, but like it doesn't, you, you kill big deer, who cares? Nobody cares anymore. And that's, no. that's the, probably the, the saddest thing that I would have to say is like, and, and it's not, I won't say that it's like nobody cares, no, you're but right. it, you're right. it doesn't make you special. Well, well, let me add this onto it. I don't think it's just the content and the desensitization that's doing that. That is from a content consumption standpoint. It is that it's like, oh, yep, there's another, another 200 from an actually going out and doing it standpoint, which there are some of us that still like, like to go out and try mm -hmm. to kill a big buck. It's, uh, you know, everything we talked about this morning, it's, it's the things that have made it easier. Um, not that they're again, not to go all the way down this, uh, inherently evil, um, I'm, frankly, in terms of making it easier, I mean, cameras, the guys that still are doing it legitimately, do nothing has changed the industry, in my opinion, more than trail cameras okay. you know, and especially cell cameras. But if you want to tack onto that, most guys aren't, you know, using it for these purposes, but, but your, your crossbows, your, your compound, what, uh, Corn you know what I'm saying? 
Mm-hmm. Um, all of that stuff makes killing big deer. It does. It, it just makes them easier. But but dude, cam- trail cameras more than anything. That that is the thing that like lifted the veil on. Im- imagine right now. That's what it did though. You said it right there. Yeah. It lifted the veil. Lifted the veil. Before, <clears throat> if a one fifty mature buck came in front of me, odds of me ever passing that deer, I would have been nuts. But if I know there's a one seventy and a one eighty also on the same farm, I might pass them now. Because I know right. there are bigger ones. Listen, dude, as much as I love trail cameras, if you took them away right now, like if they if they didn't exist, I think everybody would like kind of come out of a haze and they'd be like, oh, wow, like we, we can enjoy hunting again. We can go out and like just... Nick and I were just talking about that in Ohio because I haven't been out there. I don't have any cameras running. And he's like, well, just get out there and hunt, dude. I was like, I am. I was like, I don't know what the... Like, it's a surprise factor, right? Those are the those are the kind of the crux, crooks or whatever that, uh, you know, kind of keep us at at bay and thinking we know what we know and um it also is what gets some of those giant deer killed so if, dude if you remove that from the equation i think a lot of the, the playing field would be leveled on a lot of a lot of ways i i, I told Wyatt all the time but when i when i first started in this industry when i first started bow hunting <clears throat> well before i ever got in the industry i didn't even know what a food plot was you know my way of hunting then was i would go into a you know, a ditch or a block of timber or whatever, and I would scout it. I'd have to walk it and I have to find the trails and the tracks and everything else. Pretty much now, the only way we scout, let's be honest, is we stick a cell camera up there all summer long and then all fall and we make mock scrapes. And you could pretty much take an inventory of what you're hunting yeah. by doing that. Back in the day, I mean, you, you'd look at all this stuff and you'd find a big rub and you'd imagine, I wonder what that is. Well, then you'd be sitting in the tree and you'd see a deer I mean, it was, like you said, it was a complete surprise. Yeah. And you didn't know whether a five-year-old 140-inch eight-point walked by. That might be the best deer you see all year. So are you going to shoot it? Well, if you've got pictures of 10 other bucks that are bigger than him, you're probably not going to shoot him. Right. So yeah. Just totally different. Um, uh, I, I told Wyatt, I said, your generation has it so easy comparatively. Uh, hunting is... Um, it's much more accessible now because of all these things. And I'm just as guilty. And I'm not throwing light on anybody that does that. Cause I, nobody loves cell cameras better than I sure. do. Yeah. I, it's, it's like a ritual. Every morning I get up, I've got oh, cell cameras from three different States and it's like Christmas every morning. Yep. I want to see what are on my cameras. Agreed. But, but you know, so I mean, here I'm saying, yeah, they're, they're not evil. They're just, they made everything easy mm-hmm. and a lot easier. Yeah, I think the big thing there too, Jay, is that, and I'm not saying even at Wyatt's generation, but um, the fact that that you grew up and we grew up different than that. We didn't have those things. Like we had to read sign. We had to scout. You had to risk and say, I'm going to pass this one or I'm going to put my tag on this one, whatever it might be. Now having access to those cameras and stuff, it it's it's awesome. It's great intel, but it's not going to change how we are mentally, like in terms of how much we love hunting or the grind or anything. I worry though in the younger generations, those who are growing up only knowing cell cams, my kids included, that eventually, like it's just too easy for them. Like what what makes them stick with it long term when? You know, they have a food plot, they've got a box blind, they got a cell camera, and they're just like, well, I know if I go up in there, there's a good chance I'm going to see this eight point, this seven point, or this 10 point. Dude, it, it's not just wise generation either, though. We have to be careful. I know. We have to be careful. I mean, you know, we, we talked to plenty of guys who are re- intentionally removing it from the, you know, we've discussed it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, man, I, 
I can see pretty clearly like how it kind of sucks the 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 joy, the anticipation, the you know the excitement out of like the not knowing. I've never smoked crack before, but it's as close to being a crack addict. As oh, I can dude, imagine. I'm like on a slow fentanyl drip of like my cell cameras it, feeding in. Don't you ask? Don't you act like I have? Jay, we're both running like 30, 30 a piece, right? So like we, we get it. It's literally every morning. That is my first move. Where's my camera? Or where's my cell phone? And click on my reveal app. I mean, uh, that's, dude, mine's in the middle of the morning. night. Like 4 a.m. I'll wake up. I roll over. I start checking it. My you wife's the one like, eye, the one I buried oh, in yeah. the pillow. My like, wife's <laughs> like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "Nothing." She's like, "Turn it off." And I yeah. was like, "You get a, you get accused that you're talking to your girlfriend." No, I'm just looking at my cell pics. Dude, you know? Jared and I had that discussion the other day. Of like our our you know whatever wives thinking we're cheating on them and stuff. I was like, I just want to kill big deer. I don't got time for I that. Got time for that, man. <laughs> like, if I'm on my phone, I'm probably checking my cell cams. I'm not. I'm not talking to any other woman. Trust me. Yeah, yeah. it's nuts. But it is. It um, there are definitely times uh that I wish that it was back to that simpler phase of life without them. It, um, it can be. It can be. I mean, we we can intentionally remove. We're gonna have it in in Kansas. You are sure. you are gonna suffer in the sense of uh, you know you'll be out on that information. But but I almost and I I pretty confidently believe this that like you might sh- you might shoot a smaller deer, uh, and but you'll be happier. You'll be happier with it. You know, and if there was a bigger one out there, you won't know. Yeah. You won't have known anyways. You'll shot it, and then I'll shoot the other one. Okay. Right. 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 <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. We do have uh, our Kansas trip will be like that because, frankly, we didn't get to go out and really scout the area we're going to be hunting this year. So we don't have any intel. We're yeah, just kind of out there. I guess we're just going to go and, like, you Act- know. actually hunt. Well, no, yeah, but the brave in the public thing is what's, you know, I'm I'm embracing the challenge. You know, it's it'll be fun. I'm sure we're going to, you know, have some angry sportsman meter stuff at some so point. So, Jay, you're in Minnesota now. You've got Iowa. Are you, are you hunting anywhere else this year? Uh, Missouri, Iowa. I, me personally, Missouri, Iowa, and then Minnesota, but Minnesota is going to be pretty short lived. I'll, yeah. I'll get back down. Um, as soon as I get done here, um, I'll be in Iowa and Missouri the rest of the season. And, um, have you guys hu- then, hunted Missouri at all yet since it's open? What's that now? Have you hunted Missouri at all yet since it's been open? No, I have not. And mainly because the, my farms there that I hunt, we're really unaccessible. They're pretty unaccessible until the crops come out. Okay. And on top of that, I just, uh, <laughs> I'm either not smart enough or they're, they're just never in an area where I can kill them in early season. It seems like all my places that I hunt, I kind of have to stay out of there until about the second week of October. And that's when things start to happen. There you go. But, um, there again, uh, I'll watch my cameras, <laughs> you know, and see what's going on there. But, uh, probably more than anything. Uh, it, and, and by the way, my, my, I got a call from my farmer yesterday and they're already starting to combine beans, which is, we've heard. Blows my mind. They I've said that, they said that in Illinois too. They're taking out that's corn crazy. and beans. Like they're just going to town. Wow. That's just so insane that it's this early, but yeah, when the crops come out, then, uh, we'll get down there and get going. I, and I'm going to, I, I've really gotten into shooting my recurve. I love the traditional stuff. So I'll probably, um, I always try and kill a couple does, uh, early and just to, if nothing else, test out my equipment, make sure I'm, uh, make sure I'm doing, you know, got the right weighted arrow with broadhead and everything's flying good. And I'm getting good penetration. And so I'll always uh, try and kill a couple does early. So as, as crops come out, that, that'll be my main focus is just, uh, to do that. But then, um, 
you know, as we get into October, things will start rolling. And, and, and I do have some, I have some good deer on my farms that I know made it. And so it'll be fun again. It should be, should be another good year. I saw, I guess it was probably on TikTok or something the other day. Um, your recurve shot, you're a snap shooter, huh? Yeah. You know, and it's weird. Uh, I don't know why. I, I guess I've watched a lot of video of Fred Bear. So when I first started shooting, I, I don't know, I guess I just started shooting like that. I'm trying to get better about getting my, getting back and getting anchored before yeah. I let go. I, I have a really bad habit of, and it seems like, to be honest, I shoot better shoot when better. I don't hold it. Whenever I just put it back, look down the arrow and let it go, it seems to hit closer to where I'm looking than when I pull it back and hold it. You know, I, I don't know. It's weird, but that's, that's kind of how mine's been. It's, it's weird. Yeah. I'm, I'm fairly new. I started, you know, when I was 12 and 13, I shot a lot of recurve before I got into compounds. I didn't really hunt with them. I just kind of shot them. And then last year I got a recurve and just really felt like, you know, I wanted to take that step back, that extra challenge. And, um, transparently it's just been, it, it's, you know, that transition from compound to recurve is, is my mind wants anchor points and aiming and the recurve just doesn't <laughs> want yeah. that. Um, I agree. You know, the other thing that I love about it, and I've talked about this a bunch in the last five years since I've taken up the recurve thing, it kind of goes back to the conversation we just had. It's like my whole deer hunting world has completely opened up a whole new, uh, I'm not worried about you know, I'm not trying to kill a Boone and Crockett. I'm not trying to kill a 170. All I'm trying to do is get a mature deer. I don't care how big his horns are under 15 yards. Yep. And that's hard to do. Yep. I mean, but that's where I feel like I need them in order for me to be. And I've been, you know, I've, I've killed a few bucks with my recurve and, and they've been perfect situations. Most of them have been over decoys where, you know, I get deer to react correctly yep. to the decoy and come in and give me a point blank shot. And that's what I need right. uh, to kill one with a recurve. But that's one thing I love about the traditional thing is that, and I still hunt with my compound. I mean, no doubt about that, but um, the re the recurve and traditional stuff's really opened up a whole new, you know, uh, there's a lot more shooters for me out there. I'll put it that way with a, <clears throat> with a recurve. I'm not going to pass very, I'm not going to pass many deer that are mature with a recurve. It's not going to happen because for one, I haven't killed that many. It's so exciting. And, uh, it's, it's a great feeling of accomplishment when you do it with, uh, with traditional equipment, especially as green as I am. I'm, I'm hunting my bear up here with, with traditional too. So can you nice. break but down our, very, your, your setup there, Jay, for your recurve? What, what's that now? Can you break down your recurve setup for us? Yeah, I'm shooting a 50 pound, uh, recurve. And it's a, it's a Java man. I had it made for me last year. It was, it's a custom bow. Love it. Uh, just 50 pounds. Uh, I'm shooting a five, uh, 30 inch five hundreds in the, uh, Eastern traditional. Yep. And then I've got it tipped with, uh, I've got a 75, uh, grain insert and then 125 grain broadhead. So I've got 200, 200 grains up front. There. And I played a lot with weight arrows and with arrow weights and tip weights to get mine to shoot good. And that's the combination with my particular bow yep. that shoots good and it's heavy enough that I know I'll get penetration. I, I'm very fortunate that I've got a good friend, uh, Brooks Johnson. I don't know if you guys know that name or not. He was one of the two original owners of Double Bull Blinds. Him oh, and, okay. yep. and Brooks is a, I mean, he knows as much about traditional stuff as anyone I've ever met. So I've got him at my disposal where I can call him and I've, I've talked to him and he's really tried to help me with getting a setup. And, 
it, it's it's amazing. Every bow, every recurve I've got is different. Then none of them shoot the same, like none of them shoot the same arrow with the same weight head on the front. You mm. just have to find what shoots good for your particular setup and the way you release the arrow too. So. Are you shooting just a bare shelf on that or are you using a rest or anything? Nope, bare shelf and I shoot one, of, one over, two under on my... Uh, That's what I shoot too. Right, when yep. I grip it. I, a lot of people shoot three under and I've tried it, but it just feels awkward to me. So very just much. One over and two under. Yeah. Honestly, when I shot, I started shooting my compound bow, I, sh I shot one over two under no release me at too. the time. So I think that's why it feels yeah. somewhat normal. So my dad's that way. You guys use those old like uh, finger tabs. I've got finger tabs and then I've also got the ones that go on the string. I'm, I'm kind of open on each. I shoot the ones that go on the string, the little rubber yep. deals on the string. That, yeah. that, I'm uh, sure most shot. like seasoned traditional guys are like, but like they're just, <laughs> they're easy and my fingers don't feel like they're going to fall apart. <laughs> Here's a, That's a good, that, I'm too big a wuss to shoot without them because <laughs> yeah. my fingers get fall too fast. Yeah. Here's a millennial question for you. Okay. Why, why is it just purely be, for in the, the, the spirit of traditionalism that you don't use like a standard release? Like, Seems like it would make sense, like, you know, with my Carter Wise choice, like, you could, you would still be able to do it that way. Why, why don't guys shoot, why, why, basically, why don't guys shoot uh, trad bows with releases? Like releases and D-loops? Oh, I don't know. Well, I couldn't, because, I, I mean, I, I <laughs> it would be really weird for me to do that the way I shoot snap shooting. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I could. Snap shooting. I don't know. I've never, that's a good question. I've never seen anybody shoot a release on a tradition. Well, it's probably frowned upon. I would imagine. Like well, in the yeah, I don't know. So I know like I've got a, a hard knock point on the top and then empty on the bottom. So basically it, you know, so it doesn't pinch down on that. Um, well, cause your knock. fingers, but if you had mm -hmm. a D loop on there, it's yeah. And D loop would be fine. Probably. I don't know. Good question. I also shoot at an angle. I don't know if that yeah. would work. The angle doesn't matter at all. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I can't. I can't for my bow at about a probably a thirty degree angle when I shoot. Yeah. It. So you know. So. It's, yeah, the, I think, I, think the, I do that more than anything, just to make sure so the arrow doesn't come off the shelf. Well, that's what it, to, to the point of those rubber pieces on the on the string. Sometimes, if I feel like they get like if they scooch in too much, out when I draw, it does throw that arrow off, and I have to like kind of give them a little bit of spread there, yep. a little room yep. to work. I assume the answer to that question is just it's frowned upon. Maybe I don't know. I, I assume if you're going to shoot traditional, like that means you shoot fingers. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I don't know what would it. Um, I'm sure people do it. Yeah. But I don't, Whether yeah, I don't know, honestly. You going to try to shoot a deer with your recurve this Absolutely. Year? You I'm are. shooting the same Easton traditional that um, Jay's shooting. And then I've got a 75 grain brass insert and I've got a 150. So I'm shooting 225 up front mm -hmm. on mine. Um, and I feel 15 and in, I'm, I feel really good. I've been flirting a little bit here with the 2025s and like, I don't know. <laughs> Really? I flirt with them out in the yard. And yeah. Then I, yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. flirt with it out there, then I get out in the woods and I look and I go, eh, yeah. I so. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm paper plate like out there. At that, yeah. yeah. And then and good for at least one over the target. <laughs> what kills me is when I go out there and you know it's anytime you practice, the first arrow really truly is the only one that matters. Yeah. And it's just scary how many times I've went out and I wouldn't even want 
to show anyone where that first arrow. Well, man, that from. that's my hardest part is because like <clears throat> when I got mine, I mean, I was in it, and but I was shooting 50, 60 arrows a night. And the the problem was is when I got into that, let's say thirty ish type, it was almost muscle memory. Like I mean, I yeah. was smoking them, but it was all muscle memory. Whereas to your point, if it was cold turkey, go pick up an arrow and shoot. It's not hitting like it does by arrow number thirty. Yeah. Oh, I. That's that's the scary part about it for sure. When you know deer season comes around, that's why I want them close. I feel like I got a pretty good chance if they're fifteen and under. But yeah, past that, uh, yeah, it's probably not going to happen. Are you shooting? Uh, you, so you mentioned the um, decoy side. Are you shooting out of ground blinds or tree stands for yours? Tree, tree stands. You are uh, now. Last year, I did kill. Uh, I killed my buck on the 18th of October out of an elevated uh, okay. box blind or out okay. of, uh, banks blind yeah. uh, that came into the decoy. Um, but the, tradi- the the ones I've killed the traditional have all been out of tree stands and they've all been, you know, over the decoys. And I've got that, um, not plugging anything here, but that, that DSC decoy is a bad dude, man. That yeah. thing looks so real. I, I can be sitting you. there in the stand and kind of not, you know, just kind of <laughs> almost like dozing off and then look back at it and almost yeah. fall out of the tree yeah. thinking a buck just snuck in. That's me, funny, man. man. So crazy. Those yeah. things are legit. They're expensive too, right? What do those things run? No, they're, they're really expensive. I mean, they're like 600 bucks, Whoa. but you, you, you buy one and that's it. Yeah, You'll never good. have to buy another one. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're literally, you'll never have to buy another one. It's a one-time buy because they're just made so well. And we put ours through, um, and I, I, I haul that thing around with me. I probably hunted with it the majority of the time last year. I hunted mm, with it really? because I enjoy the putting the tacticams on the front of the head and the back of it and the, the footage we get. Oh um, yeah, I bet. And people, and people love seeing the interaction between, and it, it makes it fun because if you, you know, if you're out there and you see a younger buck come in the field or a buck that you're not going to shoot, you still get the the interaction with the decoy. And it's really cool. So what, what would you say? Cause there's not a whole lot of guys that we see. Philip Vanderpool is another one that comes to mind guys mm-hmm. that hunt, you know, pretty consistently and have success like over decoys. Uh, like for me, I worry that like, and, and granted we're hunting more Northeast stuff. Like, not that that necessarily maybe we have higher pressure or something like that but in ohio i'm like i'm afraid to take it out because it seems like there's like a there's a 50 50 chance that you know maybe they're going to commit maybe i get a shot but there's like just as high of a chance that they're going to see it and not like it and i so i tend to err on the side of um i just rather them not have anything there maybe i'll just call at them or whatever okay so here here's my truth up until the time i started using a dsd decoy I, I bet 90% of the time I wanted to decoy hunt so bad, but every time I took that thing out, the first deer in the field would stand there and snort and run away. And I mean, it just got to the point where it was ridiculous. And then I tried the DSC and I think it's just because it's so realistic looking that I would say now I'm probably more like 80% of the time the deer will come in and just feed around it, even does. And maybe 20% of the time I'll get one that'll get a little bit freaky on it. Every once in a while you will, but for the most part, I've had really good luck with it. Now I'll tell you, they they are shipping us. They We've been talking about trying to get them to, to make a doe decoy and they did this year and they're gonna be sending it to us. Nice. I'm a little bit concerned with the doe decoy because it's, it's an upright decoy, the heads up. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've had much experience with this, but if you have a doe decoy in a field, 
every deer that walks in there is trying to figure out what she's looking at. Yeah. And it's a little bit different with that. It, it, I don't know why it's different with the buck decoy, but with a doe, I find that my doe decoys, if their head's down in a feeding position, I, I'll be at like 99% of the deer won't spook on it. And yeah. they just think it's a doe feeding. Yeah, she's I was relaxed. hoping that DFD was going to make it with its head down, but they've come up with, you know, they, they've done it more in a breeding, kind of in a breeding position with the head up and the ears back. So I don't know, we'll see how it works. And I'll, and they sponsor our show. I mean, they're a partner of ours, but cool. I told them, I said, I'm not going to pull any punches. If, if it spooks deer, I'm going to, you know, people are going to see it. It's kind of, and, it's uh, like the hen decoy thing. Like, you know, I used to, that's all I used to hunt with was like a hen decoy. Now it's like, man, some of those hens come out, you know, and the first thing they do is look at that decoy and they're like, yeah, that's not real, <laughs> you know? And then just for whatever, especially however you set it up, if you're trying to set it up feeding or whatever, um, <laughs> at I, a 45 degree it, angle. Well, yeah. And just think of like, <laughs> you know, a no, especially late October, November, I mean, those mature bucks that are, I mean, they're just thinking in a different way right now you put a, a five, six, seven year old doe out there. All she's doing is looking on something to bust, you know, she just, yeah. she doesn't want to deal with anything. She is the worst. I mean, people think mature bucks are, you know, and they are mature. Uh, any mature deer is tough, but a mature doe that's had, especially one that's got fawns with her. Yeah. I mean, they're just, uh, to get past them, you've really done something. Yeah. Big old helmet heads, big old domes. Yeah, she's blown before she even hits the field. Yep, stomp yeah. and blow. Yeah, man, that's that's wild. That's unique. I mean, you're right. The, the In terms of use of decoys, you don't see it, and it is action-packed. Vanderpool's um, the other one. I know he uses a DSD I think the Heartland also. guys used to use them. They do. They? Yep. Yeah, Sean and those guys. Yep. So, and it probably just depends on the situation. I've I've used them. Well, we, we had those. What were those shitty ones we were using? Like, I don't know. Glendells or they something. They weren't that bad. It was like a, I don't know what they call it, bully buck or something like that. They we were, had those in Kansas. They were better than the ones before that. The problem in Kansas is they would blow over. Because it's so windy. Yeah, we just, we didn't, I wouldn't say we've got an adequate amount of experience with them. They're, they're kind of a pain in the butt to carry out, the ones that we had, you know. Uh, yeah, be like carrying them over the shoulder. They were awkward. Yeah. It's, I mean, well, it's, And the, the one big advantage, too, to, to the DSD, it, the one thing I always hated about other decoys was that you'd have to break them down. Yep. I would end up taking a drill and drilling holes and using zip ties and I'd zip tie their legs where they couldn't come off and their, you know, their ears and everything yep. else. And, but then when you're carrying them out there, it sounds like you're carrying a oh, yeah. rook. Absolutely. I mean, they're terrible, but yeah. the DSD is exactly the opposite. Theirs is made out of a different material. The decoy is all together. So, you know, like, I strap it on my bike on the on the front or the back of yep. my bike, and then when I get in there, it's got a stand, so I just put it up, put the decoy on it. It can't fall over unless a buck hits. And we've had lots of them knocked sure. over my buck, but um, they're just they're just made different, and it's it's why they're so expensive. I mean, they're just they're made out of that same material that they make the turkey decoys out of. Oh yeah, I, uh, I see the dough. They've got it for sale here. So the at least at Shields, the buck is six ninety nine, mm-hmm. and the doe yeah. is five ninety nine. I see. I see what you yeah. say about her head up. Mm-hmm. Not like in an alert position. They, but do, they do look good, though. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, they're amazing. That looks legit. The buck decoy is uh, is the bomb. I mean, it really does work good. And then if you use some, you know, use some good quality um, like tarsal gland scent yeah. or preorbital scent with them. Um, 
Yeah, we've just had really good luck with them. They, that's, it's so fun watching Bucks come in there and get mad. And, uh, it sounds like, Jay, I mean, it, because here's the other thing, and knowing how Buck moves in is, like, you can't just throw that thing in the middle of the field and in bow range and be like, it's good. I mean, you really have to set that thing up to the wind, to your stand location. There's, there's a lot of factors there. Yeah, it, you definitely – positioning the decoy the way it's facing as with where the wind's at and everything obviously if you're sitting there you get, you're gonna have want to have the wind in your face well uh, the bucks will always circle obviously try and get to the downwind side but they will also always circle to the head of the decoy so you kind of got to keep that in mind whenever you know you've got one that's that's trying to circle you want to make sure that when that happens that he presents you with a quartering away or a broadside shot gotcha. and most of the time you want to shoot him i got lucky last year on and i had a lot of comments from the video but i couldn't get my buck last year came in to the decoy and he was facing it and he never would come around so I, he was quartered to me at 13 yards and i couldn't shoot and i was sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting well then he finally backed up and he knocked my decoy over and when he knocked it over he took about one lunge and then turned back towards it when when he did then he was quartered away wow. from me and, and i killed him but he could have just as easily you know once he knocked Gone. that decoy over he could have took off too so mm. i got a little bit lucky there but you know it's just uh you know and that's a whole different subject but shot placement and the, the way the deer is angling to me is just the most important thing i can't stand it when i see uh you know talking about all this new content and everything that's on youtube and all these and there's some great content out there but i just cringe when i watch some of these guys shoot these animals that are quartering to them or straight on them and it's just like oh because i know there's a bunch of kids out there watching that stuff going oh i can do that you know mm -hmm. and it's like oh man just yeah. broadside or quartering away and you your target gets infinitely larger you know to make a good shot so uh, jay do you reserve the de like using the decoy primarily for field edge setups or like yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i don't take it into the timber um yeah I, I've tried it before, but what I've kind of found is that if it's not in an open spot where they can see it to begin with, if it shocks them a little bit, like yeah. in the timber, if they're mm. walking and all of a sudden they get too close before they see it, they can kind of have a bad reaction. So, yeah. um, and most of my setups in the timber are pinch points and whatnot and trails and, sure. you know, and maybe, you know, you're trying to call them to you there anyway with a grunt tube or rattle horns. If they miss you by ways, you can try and get them to come to you. But out in the open fields, mm. um, yeah, it's, it's, it's so much more fun because they don't have to be close and they see it, you know, and then it's like, and you can always tell when one's going to play. I mean, the first thing he does when yeah. he walks out there and he looks at it is he starts licking his nose mm -hmm. or he lays one of his ears back yeah. and then he starts doing that sideways walk, you know, into it. It's just, there's nothing. Man, it would be a lot of fun. I mean, I've, I've hunted with a decoy before and I've had some cool encounters, but I've never, I never shot one off one. I've so, had, I've had some younger, but I was, what I told Jay when you stepped out for a minute <laughs> mm -hmm. earlier, I was saying, man, I'm always on the fence about like, it seems like, and mine wasn't a DSD, it was a cheaper whatever. Yeah. It was like 50-50, whether they were going to like uh, engage or, or not just spook. not like it and kind of spook. I think the big thing, I, I don't, Jay, I don't know about your style. Like I do a lot of blind calling, especially in that late October, early November. And so when I've lost a lot of my mature bucks, it's because they've come in and they're looking and they don't see anything and they're like, and something's not right and they're gone. And those are the times I wish I had one to, to pull them through. Sure. Um, yeah. So that that's, if there's a time and, and a place for it, for me, it would be, you know, open space or, or more visible space. And when I do a lot of blind calling. Yep. It, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's, it's worth a try and, you know, and 
you know, you, you hope you don't have a bad experience and it doesn't cost you a deer, but I haven't had, I can't honestly say since I've started using that, the DSD decoy that I've had, I've really had many bad experiences at all. Um, like for instance, the deer I shot last year, there were eight deer feeding in the field whenever eight does that were wow. feeding in the field within 30 yards of my decoy. And had they spooked, I'd have never saw the buck. But the fact that he walked into the field, he come out of the timber yeah. and as soon as he hit the edge of the field, he saw eight does feeding out there and my buck decoy. Yeah, I mean, was it on. was a done deal. But you had to get past the does first. And that's where the I think the decoy makes such a big difference. If they can actually accept it as real, then then you got a chance. Are you doing any kind of scent um, control around that as well? Uh, all I'm doing is I'm being really careful with my scent on the decoy when I'm putting it out. And yep. I'm using a uh, forehead gland. Yep. Uh, I use, the, uh, I don't know if you've heard of it or not. It's called branch butter. It's by oh, Black yeah. Widow. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I use that up on the forehead and then I'll, I'll put, uh, they have some tarsal gland caps that it's just tarsal gland and yep. I'll stick a couple of those in the ground behind the decoy. And, and that's all I do. Okay. Um, so other than, than that, anything, just I'm avoid just it. not let it smell like a human. Yeah. That's what I was, like I guess that was a big, to, to your point about carrying them in, like, especially in Kansas, it's 80 degrees. I'm sweating. I'm trying not to get that thing stinky mm -hmm. essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, you know, they're obviously, if I'm trying to be as, do you, you know, Jay, do you use a scent away spray? Like, uh, is that, do you have a sponsor or something? That's like, uh, I, I do, I do not. Yeah. Um, I tell you, you know, in talking about scent, the, the only thing I've ever used that I can honestly say works and has saved a lot of my hunts. And, and, and I know this is a, it's a hot topic and it can be a controversial one too. <laughs> and they're not even a sponsor of mine. Um, but I've used Ozonics from the very beginning mm -hmm. and they, it just works. I've had, I've had so many instances. Well, that back to the same hunt, October 18th last year, I had, when I got in there that night, the wind switched on me and I was like, Oh, I couldn't, I can't believe this. Well, I had eight does out there that were downwind of me and they didn't bust me. I mean, you know, and, but I had the Ozonics. I had an, I had that Ozonics run full tilt inside that bank spline. I'm lucky I didn't have an arm growing out of my forehead. That's how you end up but, like uh, Bill, Bill Winky taking, taking naps me. in the blind. And, and you know how it is with a deer, if it, especially you got a decoy out there and they're trying to get downwind of it to smell it anyway. You know they're focusing all their effort then yeah you know they're trying to smell something yeah so you have to be really careful when you put a decoy out that you don't leave any human scent or you don't let them get down downwind to you because yeah. they're gonna be on ultra you know trying to bust you how about the mm. uh, nose jammer have either of you guys used that i've not i've heard i've heard like you i know, mean it, i saw it's, something it's, they sold like their millionth bottle the other day yeah. on like, like a press it's one release. of those things like it seems gimmicky and i kind of wrote it off out of the gate but i've heard people say they like really you know wasn't well, it like something around like the vanilla extract yeah. or something that like blocks yes scent, scent well here here's my only thing about the scent that what's it called the nose jammer yeah it, it isn't the presence it, it isn't the whole pretense of that as you spray it and the deer gets it in its nose and then it takes away its Correct. ability to be able to smell you from my understanding so, yeah. yes hence the jamming if, if that were really truly the case there wouldn't be a deer alive right i mean because I mean, everyone would have i mean oh well i assume I, it's temporary i have tried it before with without having any luck but that's just me i'm not saying it's a bad sure product. some people you know it, if it works it works great you know but 
Um, I, I, my first red flag went up when I saw what they supposedly said it does, which is it takes the olfactory system of a deer and basically decimates yeah, it where they can't smell it. I'm like, eh, I don't know. That sounds a little weird to me, but I well, I assume it's like temporary. Would would be the claim? Yeah, the, oh, the for other, sure. Yeah, the other thing I look at is there's other. Who is it? Evercom. No, Buck, Conquest. Well, yeah, but Buck Fever also has like a, a spray uh-huh. and it has vanilla extract in it. Well, if that's what's jamming things up, like why would they be hitting my licking branch? Then? It's literally the, it's the licking branch stuff. Yeah, that's what, what I'm saying. But, yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, they're coming and checking that. That's not jamming yeah, their old factory. I don't know. So. I don't understand. Um, that, that Evercom though. It's funny though, dude, this. I remember using that religiously for a while. Listen, the... I'm going to say this scent stuff is, the, it's one of the last, like, un- it's not uncharted, but it's like a mystery still. Yeah. It's like, even myself, I catch myself like, like that spray. I don't believe it works at all, but I will spray my hat brim every once in a while. Just well, yeah, because in the back of my mind, I'm like, hmm. I'm a, I'm a sucker for the fresh earth spray. Yeah, a little or... bit of fresh earth. Like, <laughs> and I haven't yet, but like, it, I I don't know if I'll get to the season without buying some Evercom and just you yeah. know, you know. Do you guys are you guys old enough to remember the scent that this guy was producing out of Kansas? And it was a big deal when I was a kid growing up. It was called Cover Up. Mm. Do you remember it? Mm-mm. I don't it, think so. What it was, it was a it, it ended up finding out. You squirted it in your hand and rubbed it. And it it smelled, it was totally vanilla is what it was. Huh. And that was the first time that somebody ever really come out with a vanilla. Uh, and they, they, they claimed it like was a cover up, but I remember it smelled so good. And I was yeah. like, I That's don't, care yeah, I don't even I care if they can what, smell it. What was the stuff from West Virginia? Remember the Smokies? No, 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 no. Smokies pre-orbitals. I've used that in the past, but no, no, I the, co- right the cover up scent. Um, That's pure red Fox urine. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody just peed in a bottle. Oh, uh, God, I can't remember. You know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, yeah. Mountain something? Mountain magic. Mountain magic. Yeah, yeah. Same thing, Jay. And, and it's a big deal mountain in magic. like West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Southern Ohio. It's just mountain magic, and you spray it as a cover-up, and you're like, it's vanilla. It's vanilla extract. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just funny. It it That is one of those kind of weird spaces. Because, I mean, think about, you know, I don't not to pick up, but think of like a, a fresh earth bottle. Like, what's that cost them? 33 cents to make and they're going to sell it for 10 bucks? Yeah, it's water and dirt. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that, have you seen, I don't know who makes it, uh, this the this year, like the gimmicky thing they put out is like, it might be Scent Crusher or something. I have a bottle of, it's like you put water in it and then you get whatever from your area. Yeah, and it mixes it up and then you spray it. Yeah. What? Yeah, I saw that. That that looks interesting to me because that, I mean. Oh, the like the ninja thing? It's kind of like that. Like it, it turns whatever blender? foliage, whatever you put yeah, into yeah. it, into liquid, and then you spray it on yourself. Yeah, I could see that with pine needles and stuff. Sure. Or a cedar. Yeah. Sure. I, I mean, that's I about that. as fresh as you're going to get. I almost ordered one of those just to, to do it with pine needles and cedars and stuff, When you, especially up here. Yeah. I bet they're selling quite a few of them. Here. I mean, that would seem to make sense. I did see that because they did like acorns or something mm-hmm. in one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know what the legality around that is, but oh, I'm sure, um, sure yeah, I'm sure you can do it. Yeah, it 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 is one of those areas that super saturated, but just you know, there are certain people that I know buy. I mean, growing up, it's the, one of those deals. It's kind of like camo. It's like we don't know exactly how deer see, and we don't know exactly how deer smell. So like. It's pretty, you know, with good marketing, you buy in on like, oh, this helps with that. And every year growing up, I went and bought Tink 69. It just was what, you know, I'm like, this is what you have to buy for the rut, right? You know, and I was the guy who was dumping it on his boots and walking through the grass. Swishing it. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just, 
that's just what it was. You know, you saw it on a saw it on a commercial or I forget Tinks was like I think Jackie Bushman was Tink sixty nine or so, whatever. A lot of people were. You know, but it was like that was the kind of thing you saw and you're like, Well, yeah, I got my Tink sixty nine, I'm ready for rut. Mm-hmm. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Muddy. Man, Jared, we probably have been using Muddy products for at least 10 years now. It's a long time, dude. It's been a long time. And I can remember when it was simply just safety harnesses and camera arms of all things. And, you know, that's evolved to where you and I both have a bunch of Muddy box blinds as well. I would say a bunch. But, yeah, they've come a long way. And certainly the box blinds are, are huge. Shot that buck over your shoulder out of a Muddy box blind a couple of years ago. The harness and, and all of the other safety accessories really are, are a major component of, of what Muddy offers for me. Um, you know, we've had some injuries in the past, you know, some, some tree stand accidents. This, this is all back before we were using, uh, you know, frankly, harnesses, mm-hmm. uh, the lineman's belt while we're hanging stuff, and the safe lines. I have those in every single one of, uh, you know, our fixed tree stands now. And uh, so we really have made safety a priority. Uh, that, that's a big deal for us. And, uh, you know, Muddy has everything we need for that. Yeah, and I think uh, the cool thing about Muddy is anyone listening to the Hunter podcast can save 20% using the code HUNTER20. That's H-U-N-T-R-2-0. Uh, anything that you can see on the Muddy Outdoors store online, use that code. Save yourself 20% for this hunting season. Go Muddy. All it takes is one guy to have a really good experience with that scent, too. And then he tells all That's his buddies. It, man. And they all tell their buddies. And, you know, the next thing you know, it's the gospel that it works, too. So, yeah. But that's, that, that's just marketing. You know what? The first buck I ever killed with my Actually, you know what? You know, I've never killed a buck with a gun. Really? I don't think I, I thought you did kill one in Ohio. I don't think so. Really? Anyways, not the point. First buck I ever killed uh, was probably a two-year-old, and I was, uh, I don't know, 16, 16 years old maybe. Mm-hmm. I went in there with a bottle of, it was probably like golden estrus. It was like whoever makes that. Yep. Whoever makes that. Um, and it would have been like Thanksgiving time. Yep. This was in Pennsylvania. I went out and poured some of that out and put it out. That thing came running over a hill from like a, a residential area. Like I was barely in my tree. I didn't have my release on yet. Then came running into that scent. It was the first buck I ever killed. Come in, walk, ran right under oh, my stand funny. like that. I bought a bottle of Tink 69 one time and hit a buck on the way home. I thought it was a good commercial. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, my dad didn't find it funny. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Oh, man. Uh, the sun stuff is cool, though. I, you know what I do, Jay? Um, <clears throat> I don't know if it works or not, but anybody can try this if they want. My my parents have a big uh, wood burning stove out uh, t- that they heat their house with, and I douse my stuff in it. Like I I'll waft it in that smoke as much as I can. I smell like a straight up campfire. I, not like on opening day usually, but but by the time like mid to late October rolls around, and you know camp- other people have their people are burning yeah. leaves, campfires start going. I yeah I I. I go heavy on that. I've always wondered. I've been always curious about that. I've I've known a lot of people that have done that smoke thing yeah. before, and uh, I've always been curious about that because it kind of you know I I don't know if it would completely cover your human scent or not. Maybe it would, but you know they smell that type of stuff you know yeah. quite often. It's just I a mean, cover scent. It's strong. People burn. Oh yeah, I mean wood burners and in the same going, way you could probably go going. out and like you know roll like get under leaves and stuff like just something a, a strong natural smell to cover you up that's, a little bit. It's funny because that's like one of especially in like you said that late October, early November. That's like one of my 
youngest memories of like hunting is like walking back Sounds from like a morning hunter. hunt and yeah. just smelling like you know a fireplace or a wood burner yeah. in the air yeah you know and it's just one of those things that it, it's very nostalgic like when it hits your nose again you're like that's where it kind of takes yeah. me so i'm sure those deer are really used to it yeah yeah well the biggest the biggest thing that i think people don't understand or or they misinterpret is thermals you know when it comes to when I, I think a lot of people will either have a good or a bad experience and they're like oh this thing worked or it didn't work I think nine times out of 10, the reality is that the thermals either saved you or screwed you, you know, it's like they were lifting straight up and you might've thought they were down when, but they were, you know, they were coming straight up. And 100% agree with you there. It's, I, I think that thermals have sold a lot of product and they've probably kept people from buying a lot of product Yeah, because thermals are everything. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's where a lot of those people hunting, you know, those hub bottoms and stuff like that. I mean, I think they're great spots. They're tough to hunt, you know, just in terms of how those thermals are pulling through there, regardless of wind direction and any kind of topography like that with the wind kind of bouncing off the different hillsides and stuff. You, know, you talk to tough. any any bow hunter that's got ground, and they're all going to have that one spot they wish they could hunt, but they just know they can't. Mm-hmm. You know, it's maybe all these trails come together yep. in this bottom down where these creeks all, you know, all meet up and everything, and it's like, okay – I got to figure it, but there's no way to hunt it because the, the wind sets down there and does this, you know, one minute it's in your face, 30 seconds later, it's at your back. Then it's from your right. Then it's from your left. Those are, those are impossible spots. I, I think like uh, that's where all the buck signs usually at too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't, uh, those spots exist less and less for me. If they, I, in my opinion, if they can be accessed, that's, that's all that matters. Like if I can access it at, at some point, I'll hunt it, you know, cause you gotta, you got to dive in there. That, that buck, I killed a 160 inch deer in North Dakota on September 6th this year. Um, and that thing, it didn't, but the doe right in front of it smelled me. Uh, it, my case in point basically is that the gig was up. Like it was like, he was there. That was the only spot I was going to kill him. And, uh, you know, you, you got to take a risk at, at some point. I yeah. Guess. I mean, even if it's one or two days a year, I mean, you're not going to like, well, that's when it, it comes down. It's, I, I think for everybody, it's when are those one or two days a year to do it well, it's not know? the same day every year i mean it's oh, gotta no be... it's, that's yeah it's just making the choice to jump in and go after it yeah yeah so which is not easy for a lot of people um yeah i think i think those are the spots that you know most people will stay too conservative or by the time they decide oh i gotta go hunt that you know patterns have changed it's not as effective as it would have been yeah. um whatever it might have been so yeah, that's that's crazy. Uh, Jay, last topic, just because I, I know that it's a strong point for you, and I think it's a good one to talk about, would be your experience with, with chronic wasting. Because I know sometimes, I think you and I went back and forth even on some uh, differences of opinions. It, it's all, it, the, the thing that we try to do is we want to have really cool debates around CWD, especially for the fact that um, I, I personally don't think that most of the agencies are doing shit for talking to the general hunting public uh, about it, you know, which is what leads to a lot of debates and discussions amongst ourselves because those guys aren't even in the picture for most of it. Um, and, and so, you know, you, you've got farms, so you've got more investment in it than I do, right? But you've got farms in Missouri. Um, I, I assume you've been hunting in Missouri prior to 
you know, the CWD even being found in that Northeast part of the state. Yeah, I, I grew up in Missouri, so I'm great. And I live in a town called Lineville, Iowa, yep. which is literally on the line of Iowa and Missouri. Right so over Just across the border. Here, here's my whole take. The, the whole CWD thing, I've been involved in many, many discussions and on podcasts and with Dr. James Kroll. Yep. And, uh, Nugent and Kroll and I did one one time, and, and I've listened to so many people talk about it, and I've talked to agents before. And here's my big beef with the whole CWD thing. Mm-hmm. There are facts that they cannot dispute. It started in the 60s. Yep. Okay? They don't know how it started, but it started in the 60s. Deer nowadays, because they are testing for them, have it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's been 60s. That's been almost, it's been 50-some years ago. Mm-hmm. 60s, no, it's been 40s, it's been 60 years. 60 almost seven years. years. Yep. Not one human has ever, ever been affected by CWD. Correct. For people to think that we haven't all eaten, eaten deer that have this you know, disease they call CWD would probably be a huge yeah, I'm, we've all done it. We've I mean, all done I, it. I live in Iowa and and hunt in northern Missouri, where they've you know these new cases have come up. Mm-hmm. People eat millions of pounds of venison every year, and they keep testing, they keep finding it, they can't get rid of it. Okay, so we know it doesn't affect humans. The other thing that they they do not like when you ask them this question is how many confirmed deaths are there of deer by CWD? Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't count the deer that got hit on the road that they tested or the deer that you shot that you took that they tested. How many deer do they know 100% positively have died from CWD after 70 years and all the testing and all the hundreds of millions of dollars that they have spent on CWD all Mm -hmm. across the country? And they hate that question because the answer is zero. They, They have no proof. Right. Okay. Now... The other thing is when you talk about, you pick a a state like Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. Wisconsin was the first place that came in and said, you know, they had this wonderful idea that, okay, we've got these CWD hot zones. So we're going to go in there. We're going to put out bait piles and we're going to decimate the herd. We're going to kill them all. Okay. So they did that and talk to the people from Wisconsin today and find out where their deer herds at. And it didn't affect anything. Okay. It was a complete waste of money, waste of time. It did nothing. Now you've got all these agencies across the country that are all, they've got this, they got this system. And if you follow the system by the book, then you will get federal funding for CWD. Mm -hmm. And what that amounts to is testing, going into spots and putting out bait piles and killing deer and going and talking to people. I've talked to farmers. I've had farmers that have come to me and said, Jay, what do you, what do you know about this CWD thing? I had the, this guy from the Missouri Department of Conservation came and talked to me and said that if we we should let them put a corn pile. So I did it last year, and he said, now I don't have any deer. They, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm not good. Should I let them do it again next year? And I'm like, well, I mean, I think it's just ridiculous. And and they they explain that they that they're so. What's the word I would use? They go into a lot of these people that, let's say, are landowners that are maybe aren't even hunters. They right. Say, and they give them this, you know, this spiel. Well, these deer have got this disease. Now, we're not sure if it can make the jump to humans. We're not sure if it can make the jump to your dogs or your cattle or yeah. wherever. But so what we'd like to do is go in there and we'd like to go ahead and get rid of the problem and we'll, we'll kill the yeah, deer. Yeah, these, well, pe- these landowners you know, are gullible to it. Exactly. So you, you end up with these people 
they, they, they installed this fear factor. And mm-hmm. what are people going to say? Oh, God, I don't want Fifi to catch CWD. Yeah. Go kill my deer, you know? And so that's what irritates me about it is I don't think they've been totally honest with the general public. And they just, they go on and on. And it's the same story. It's the same BS every day from all these different states. And you can't show me one place in the United States where going in there and decimating the herd has made one ounce of difference where it's helped anybody. All it's done is it's, it's hurt a farmer's ground. I always say this to people that are kind of pro CWD and how they're taking care of it. How would you like it if your agency came in and put a thousand pounds of corn across the fence from your ground that you've been raising deer on, you grew up on, you've been mm-hmm. managing and wipe out all the deer come December, January, February, March. Yeah. How would you like that? Yeah. And do you think it's going to make any difference? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think to me, I think they should take all those hundreds of millions of dollars that they've been spending on CWD. Let's actually put that money towards something that would really, truly make a difference. Let's do some research on what you can do to help the farmers, the ranchers, and the landowners get rid of EHD and kill the midge. Mm-hmm. That's the true kill two killer of whitetails. Mm-hmm. Okay. As far as I'm concerned until then, I think you just, I think you quit testing and I have some people say, so Jay, just stick your head in the sand and, and, and it'll go away. Well, it hasn't went away in 70 years the way you're sure. trying to do it. And it's not going to go away in another 70 years. And if all these deer were dying, we're all landowners. We have video, we have cell cameras. We walk our farms, we shed hunt. Where are these mass die-offs of deer from this CWD? Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that's my position. And, and I'll debate any agency that wants to talk about it. The problem is they don't want to talk about it. They don't it want to talk about it. Because when you ask them a few of the hard questions, they have no answers for it. They just basically are saying, you have to trust us. I went to college and I'm a biologist and I know more than you do. Well, you might know more than I do and you might know about biology, but I know that common sense plays into this a whole lot more or should play into a whole mm-hmm. lot more than it has been. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me, cause like, you know, I know a lot of the biologists I've been involved in that stuff. I haven't done any CWD stuff personally myself. The, the, the hardest part that I have is like, I'm kind of a standard operating procedures guy. Right. And we've got CWD confirmed in, I don't know how many States now, 17, 18 States probably at this point, uh, not to mention the places that it hasn't been found. Um, everybody's doing it different. Right. Like every state does something different, just tweak wise or how they're monitoring or how they're testing or how many. And it seems like if it was if if we actually knew what we were doing, right, we'd be doing the exact same thing and showing the results of whatever that thing is going to produce from every one of those states. Um, and we're not like every, you know, is anybody claiming, though, that they do know what they're like? Oh, they I mean, they all do. I mean, Missouri's not claiming that like they're having a positive impact even on it, are they? Well, how how would you know? Exactly, that's what I'm saying. The only way you find out if a deer's got CWD is if somebody brings it into a check station after it's dead. Yeah. Well, I mean, so their their answer to the question or their answer to the problem is, well, we'll just kill them all anyway, whether they have it or not. Right. Well, until your kid, I guess, out in this area because John Doe had a deer that had CWD on it. It's it's yeah. And we 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 kind of. We've we've been on this you know, mm-hmm. before because I, I think I said the same thing to you. I, I agree. Yeah, if they knew what worked, yeah, do that mm-hmm. across the board. But in that case in point is they don't, right? So and so I guess Either I'm in favor of like, hey, let's try some different stuff. What we, 
I mean, the, the the question would be, has any of us ever seen like the the results of whatever they're doing? Like, if they are doing a, a controlled shooting or something, like, what are the results before and after type of thing? Because like, I Wisconsin, Jay, Jay brings up Wisconsin. You know, they still have forty plus percent prevalency rates in several counties in Wisconsin, meaning forty percent of the deer that they test have CWD. Yep. And they've done active management up there. Well, shit, it sure doesn't seem like anything How worked. so? What do you mean active management? So they've gone in and, and put bait pals. They've done, you know, earn a buck tags. Like they've they've increased the harvest out of there to try to slow and or change the spread of the disease, right? Well, 40% of the deer they're still harvesting are positive for it. I mean, How I, long have they been doing that for? Years. Interesting. Yeah, right, ten years. Yeah. But here's the here's a, here's another question. It just in in that vein right there, forty percent of them they have a forty percent prevalence of CWD. Mm -hmm. Who cares? Yeah, <laughs> those deer yeah, are getting killed question. by hunter. Mm -hmm. No human has ever been affected by CWD. So by CWD, right. what difference does it make right. if it's a hundred percent? So they got a disease. If they're call it a disease, they have this thing in them that's called CWD. Okay, now, if you could prove to me that the CWD was going to, we, if we didn't do something, it was wiping the deer herd out, or it was going to make one of your loved ones sick and they were going mm -hmm. to die, sure. or your dogs or your cattle yeah. or whatever, but they have no proof of any of that, and you think in 70 years, something of that would have come up so, in, a, in a place like Wisconsin, 40% prevalence of CWD and not one human has ever been affected by it and they still have deer and the deer they're still killing have CWD. So what really is CWD? Mm -hmm. the, the, the point, Jeremy, that you always come back to is because I ask, like, are there confirmed deaths? And you say that there are, where was Indirectly that? stuff is what Jay and I were just talking about. So like vehicle collisions and things like that. Well, no, but there are cases of of confirmed CWD deaths, correct? Well, that's how they originally found it in Colorado. I, I, if there is, I don't know where they're at. I've, I've never heard of a confirmed death of CWD. What did you, the, the what ones, did you say? The ones originally CWD. in Colorado, the mule deer originally in Colorado from CWD. That's how they found it. Okay. So those deer were in a pen that Do you had know if, come... Is there anything online about this we can look up? Oh, yeah. It's Fort Collins, Colorado. Can you can you pull that up, Nick? Sixty-seven or something like that. Because I, I, Jay, I would tend to. It sounds like we're all pretty much on the same page. But I agree, Jay. I'm kind of like it doesn't seem like a, a big deal, you know. It's like there are biologists and stuff, mm -hmm. and you know, I, I think Bronson was one of them. But mm -hmm. you know, a couple guys who are like, hey, this is a big deal. We need to take these preventative measures. I don't think they're necessarily in favor of like Missouri. Seems like an extreme example, but nobody really has an answer. Well, right? to the point of. That's that's you, where it comes back and forth on the are you doing on your phone on what yeah. each of the states are doing and in, in terms of what's the consistency or communication like that's the biggest thing probably is there's no communication. Well, that's the thing. Just yeah, what what have we done? We see clearly what's not great for a lot of people, which is killing all the deer. But so what? Well, is, what and, is and even to the standpoint of the hunter side is like. <clears throat> Again, through... I can't imagine, dude. Per I mean, Jay's, and I, I understand, like, yeah, I mean, drastic things take call for drastic measures or whatever, mm -hmm. but imagine they pull up next to your farm and dump several thousand pounds of question and start shooting all the deer for, and for what, you know, for, you know, testing. For testing. Of which maybe just, one is positive, uh, maybe none are positive. Are you looking where it originated from? Let's do confirmed CWD deaths. It, just, confirmed deaths? Yep. It's the 1960s just, just in Fort Collins. Any, anywhere, I guess. Well, Fort Collins is where the original ones were go. that died. They were in a pen, not in wild. And so, like, 
Th those would be the do ones. Do they know that they died of CWD or did they test them for CWD after they died? They tested them for CWD after they died. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because there is, at least to my knowledge, there is no test for live deer. I know that right. the deer farming oh, community was working really? on Yeah, there's no test. They can't test live deer for CWD? Mm -mm. What? No. How? Why? I don't I, I don't know if that's true or not. That may be true. It may not no, be I true. No, I don't think that there's any know. test for... Can they do like a blood draw or something? How no. do they test when they're dead? Brainstem. That's why you can't, can't they take do like any little... of the, the nervous stuff and everything. Can't but do a little... You do your... Pull out a little with spinal fluid? No. No? No. No. Hmm. You can't... It, there's no testing. I don't know, I from what I know. I that turns up a red flag about this whole CWD deal. That's one for me, the fact that they can't test live deer. Well, how are you going to test the brainstem? Is that any spinal fluid, period? I don't know. How do they do an epidural? Does that actually go in your spine? Mm-hmm. Couldn't they just do, suck a little, like a little bit? I don't know if it carries through there or not. Hmm. I don't know. Well, yeah. how, about, how, how about this, guys? So they... This is, would be another red flag for me is whenever they say, well, we're outlawing mineral, mm -hmm. we're outlawing bait, mm -hmm. we're doing all these things because and th this is coming from your agencies. Yep. Okay. And this, this makes me sometimes wonder, do these agencies or these people that say this, do they actually know anything about a white-tailed deer? And they're supposedly the ones that are taking care of the white-tailed deer populations. And they make statements like this that that they shouldn't be that mineral sites, uh, feed piles and all that stuff helps spread CWD. Mm -hmm. Okay. So <clears throat> as hunters, we all know that 365 days a year, deer touch each other. They use the same licking branches. They're always nosing to nose each other. They are around each other 24 seven. Sure. Okay. They feed in the same alfalfa fields, the same deer field or bean fields and corn fields and everywhere else. Okay. And they've, they've, I can't remember what they said the gallon amount is of urine it takes in order to saturate and create enough prions for the, it's a lot. Uh, for it to spread. But it's like something like 16,000 gallons or some unbelievable, stupid mm. amount. Okay. Mm. That's an awesome, so awesome power type piss right there. Mineral licks and mineral licks and, and feed piles and all that help spread. That just doesn't make any sense. That, and there again, I'm not a biologist, but I have common sense. And we all know as deer hunters, you're never going to stop a deer from hitting a scrape, hitting a licking branch, feeding in the same fields, licking each other, fighting. Uh, they're, they're a very social creature. So mm -hmm. I don't know how saying that is going to spread CWD. Yeah. Well, it's definitely not going to stop it. I mean, uh, I mean... It's it's certainly one of the things that like you know has deer in a concentrated area sticking along with like you said licking branches licking each other that stuff all still continues so I guess I can see both sides. What do you find, Nick? Mm -hmm. I'm not really finding anything. Like it shows that it just says length there for 50 years, and if you look up at least what I see like confirmed deaths from CWD. Uh, it just says there's little to no information. Little yeah, hence the reason they hate it when you ask them that question. Confirmed mm -hmm. CWD death. So here, Realtree has an article. Sure, that's great. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Symptoms, uh, blah, 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 chronic waste, and it's a safe bet. Comment thread like CWD has never killed a deer. What if, where's the proof? Uh, 
Here's uh, Lindsay Thomas. KDMA. Reported on story where a hunter watched a deer fall over dead from CWD. How does he know it was from CWD? I assume they tested it after the fact. A Mississippi hunter sat. That doesn't mean he didn't die. Of sure. EHD. Sure. Uh, you know, I completely. mean, that's the, that's the part that, that's so great. I, hey, Jay, just for transparency, I'm totally open to the fact that it might not, mm -hmm. you know, I, we're, I, I don't feel one way or the other about it. I'm dead set against them, like killing all the deer. I think that's the wrong way to go about it. Well, that's me too. I and mean, then that's, that's my whole, that's my whole beef with it is that I don't think they're being truthful with the general public. They're just kind of doing what they want to do, telling us we're all stupid and it makes no sense. And that's my whole beef with it. That's why I've been so vocal about it. And I'm one of few in the industry that will be vocal about it. It, it kills me that a lot of the other people that are in this industry won't talk about it. You know, they don't want to, they're, they're politically too politically correct to say anything about it because they don't want to upset their sponsors or whoever. I don't care. Here's I mean, my I thing. Just, How can you it say is. it's a hundred percent fatal if you can only test them when they're dead? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Pretty good. Question. Cause like, of I'm course it is every, you can only test dead deer for it. Yeah. They're all dead. I, I'm assuming cause they have had research herds that have died from that's and what, i guess that's what we're trying to find out it's kind of similar to like herpes you know they say everyone in the world has herpes really no they don't say that right? <laughs> but, but like but like you just don't outbreak <laughs> I, i'm pretty sure they just said that to make you feel no, better seriously you just don't outbreak from it i'm pretty sure everyone has Is that like it. chicken pox i don't know it's like a, it's a like herpes is a virus that you can have like you can have a cold sore or yeah. you could have you know and i mean there's different levels of it and to your point, that's that's what I wonder about CWD. They they created this name and this aura around it, but really, what is it? And is it is it going to affect on a grand scale? Is it going to affect a deer's lifespan and its quality of life? So I think that's you know, an how interesting. How many years does a deer live anyway? Well, that's what I was going to say. So that's an interesting piece of it because if you look at if you read about it, right? What they say is essentially from the time that they contract. CWD till death is about 18 months. Okay. So year and a half Say again. from the time they contract it to yeah. the time they die 18 months. How did they know that? Yeah. I was going to say, where, where, where do they have anything to back that science with? They I, can't even confirm a deer's ever died of CWD. I would well, so if, they, if it would dies they and they did. test it and they say, okay, this thing has CWD, how would they go back and say, when? maybe they've, maybe it's because they, these deer have like, They've purposely contracted the CWD in like a research facility okay. to, to death at 18. I, I don't know about free range, sure. right? But, and it's probably an estimate too. Um, so if that's the case, so let's say Wisconsin, right? I mean, average buck in Wisconsin lives till two and a half, okay. three and a half, probably not three and a half, two and a half in I'm, Wisconsin. I mean, average, probably maybe two and a half. Okay. So odds are it's probably not going to contract it as a fawn. Uh, most of them, are getting it at one and a half years old as a buck. Again, this I guess is all technically per, the longer per what the literature will tell you. Sure. I guess technically the longer they're alive, the greater chance there is to exposure, right? The greatest chance per literature is one and a half as that buck is moving from herd to herd more because it's getting pushed out. Okay. Okay. So let's just say it gets it at one and a half. That means he'll live till three and a half or till three. But if he on average dies at two and a half, yeah, he never, never gets there. Right. You never know. Right. That's and I'm get, I'm just saying what the literature tells you. I have a question. What about a doe that supposedly has CWD and she has fawns? Do they have CWD? Don't know. They would have to, right? 
Uh, I, I don't, don't know how the, I don't know how the disease works. I mean, I don't know. I mean, if they're they saying it's know, in the brain stem and blood, yeah, they don't know. That's the problem. Is they don't they don't know. Uh, it it is it is as similar to COVID as you can make an analogy at this point in our society. Right? That and you you have created a new. You guys are on the cutting edge. We we've given deer have their own form of herpes. Yes, they have their own her deer herpes. Yeah. <laughs> Herp so, herpes. Yeah. So I mean, you're at that same point of like. You know, they don't, they didn't know anything about that. They don't know nearly as much, but they're taking action, which they did on both, right? I mean, probably without understanding either of them, they took severe action on both of those cases. So I think it, it comes back to, um, and I don't know if it's communication and or what, but like we've done enough stuff here for at least the last 10 years on CWD. It's like, okay. What have you learned? We should at least be able to Google a confirmed death. Well, so in terms of like the scholar articles and stuff, you'll have to dig on that. But that's yeah. that's the big the biggest beef here is that a lot of this happens behind the closed doors of the research community. Who is the authority? Like on a, at a national Dude, I've level, been looking. I've I've tried. So uh, and I won't throw his name out because I know him. There's uh, there's a lawsuit in Tennessee right now. Uh, of which a biologist was fired from the state of Tennessee because he called them out for inflating their CWD numbers. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, and he he did, and and they did, uh, and it's it's in court now. Um, you, you know why they did that? They they did it because they get federal funding. Absolutely. And so here's something else. Going back to Wisconsin, if you look it up, Wisconsin had spent. I believe this is correct. Up to the year 2015, they had spent $30 million on CWD research. Every year since 2015, they have spent between three and $3.6 million to this day, every year in the state of Wisconsin on CWD. Where is that money coming from? Mm -hmm. How many jobs is it keeping available with all of that federal funded money? Well, and as crazy We're as it sounds is... I. I'm not necessarily opposed to that, Jay, as long as, like, what do we know now? After $40 million, yeah, that's the what, is what, it what do we know? And, and I'm, that's not like a rhetorical question. Like, we, we should know something after the $40 million, right? What yeah. is it? And it's probably more in the hundreds of millions of dollars that has been spent across the country. Yeah, across probably the country. Probably mind-blowing, you know, exactly how much money it is that, that has been thrown at this thing. Yeah, I, I think that, um, and there's there's certain states, Wisconsin, Missouri, those two in particular, some of these states that have really had, you know, spent a ton of time and a ton of money on these things, they know something at least. I don't know if they don't want to say what it is or if, hey, we spent all this money and we're still where we started, maybe. Um, uh, you might have just answered your own question. <laughs> it's just typical government. Yeah. They, you know, it... it common sense would tell you that they don't want to admit to you that they have spent a hundred million dollars and don't know any more than they did before they spent 10 cents. See, but so that's it, why you don't hear about it. Shouldn't that be, isn't there like a, what's that? What's the like freedom of information act? Like, shouldn't we be able to get access to like what it was spent on and what those results are? I think you can get them. The, you can definitely see how much has been spent, but Results are all, you know, unfortunately, results are at the grace of whoever is going to give you what those results were. I mean, they don't have any results. 
mm-hmm. obviously. Mm-hmm. Because if they had results, they'd be bragging about it, and everybody would be doing like you guys said. Sure they would so. all be have a common theme and common be doing theme. exactly the same thing to curb this problem, but they're not because they don't know because they haven't come up with anything. Hmm. <sighs> oh, man. I, it almost seems like the evidence would seem that like you almost just have to take the stance of like, there's not really sufficient evidence to say that we should do anything. Mm-hmm. And if there is, show us the evidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Leave it alone. Let mother nature take care of it. And let's spend that money on something. Give it to the homeless or something where at least it's doing. No, don't do that. Good. That's not helping either. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know. Jay, where would you say that Northern Missouri is now? You know, you're what, 10 years into this thing, probably. I can't see any difference. It's not I mean, South I, of Iowa. I mean, I've eaten lots of deer from Northern Missouri, so I mean, I'm I'm still here, and everybody else is, and mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen any difference. Missouri is an incredible state. If it if they had the same regulations Iowa has as far as their deer, their deer season goes, they would blow Iowa out of the water just because of the habitat that that Missouri has right. comparatively from a state standpoint between Iowa. But you've got this magical line you know, between Missouri and Iowa, and there's such a uh, huge difference in age structure just because of the the way things are done in, in the two states. But Missouri, I, I mean, I can't tell any difference. I mean, there's still good deer there. There's still lots of deer there. Uh, are they what? still testing really hard up there? Are they still doing shoots and stuff? I... I I don't know. I, I'm assuming they are. I hear they are. I have not. I don't think the county that I'm in is now one of them. Yeah. Um, I'm in Mercer County. Okay. Now that the probably there's probably some agency guy listening to this podcast it's, that hates <laughs> me by now from this Mercer. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> <laughs> don't be pouring corn over on the other side of the property I'm hunting <laughs> in a week. Yeah. But, uh, well, it seems like know, they've I, moved south. It, it seems like Columbia, Jefferson City, like all, all of that area has now been their focal hot point recently. Yeah. I, I tell you what would be very interesting is to talk to an actual landowner that has had this happen to him right across the fence or That's on good an point. adjoining property yeah. and find out, you know, listen to their horror story. Well, I've been I'll trying to, to love it. to talk to anybody involved, like well, somebody involved in trying, the study. And... I've been trying to get somebody, you know, I say perceives CWD expert. Some of these research guys are just too much, frankly. Like they'll just talk over our head and we'll never get anywhere. Uh, an agency person would be the one to talk to. They just not allowed. No. Yeah. Sworn to silence. Yeah, I just yeah, don't. Uh, yeah, I, I get about guarantee you there isn't going to be one of them that's going to be willing to come on your podcast and sit there and answer questions that you're going to ask them about. Because <laughs> yeah, we've they, just they don't want to. They, they don't have an answer, and they don't want to be. I thought yeah, about. I, I thought about asking Sumner's Jason Sumner's to be on. That's Missouri's guy. Who's he to the state? Jason's the chief. Of, wait, but at one point in time, he was the head deer biologist. He's the chief what now? Chief of the Wildlife Division. Okay. For Missouri Department of Conservation. Hmm. I've heard that name before, I think. I know. I just don't know if... Shoot him an email. Yeah, I will. I think I already have. If anybody's listening, yeah, shoot him a, shoot him a DM or an email or something. Tell him to come on our podcast. Yeah, and it's not... I don't want to... I'm not here to grill as much as no. I am. Just trying to, we just to know. figure out some information Ch- here. Chances are there is information out there that we're just not privy to. Like, you know, I'd look at some stuff. I just, I hate digging in the scholar articles and stuff. It's mind. Well, that's classic, you know, edu- you know, uh, 
uh, from the journals and whatever to get translated into like it doesn't happen to the hunters it just doesn't happen so like it would surprise me if there's not studies and stuff that have been published that we could access that we just don't know how or haven't aren't privy to but Mm -hmm. but yeah it'd be great to it'd be great to get some seems really really crazy that there and maybe there are so nick we'll have to look it seems really crazy that some of these state agencies whether it's missouri or wisconsin doesn't have some like very like understanding report slideshow video whatever summarizing hey here's where we stand on cwd every freaking year right for three million dollars or whatever seems like that would be pretty important to keep the education we need coming uh, to the we public. need uh, peter Ducey out here asking questions grilling i don't know man <laughs> yeah it, it it is uh it's one of those things because we talked about earlier um the the fact that i think retention and paying attention to our current hunters is so so critical right now and i feel like the agencies are doing a very piss poor job of it uh to the point of you know may, i'm not saying all the money but a lot of money spent on this could be going to hunter retention could be going to buying more lands for public access could be doing a lot of things um i don't know yeah it, it's it comes down to there's a limited resource that's going into these agencies <laughs> And they need to be spending spending it wisely. And I don't know. Until well, I, don't I understand. Know, I don't know what the answer to this question is right now. I know that a few years ago, Missouri's Department of Conservation was the was the wealthiest it is. conservation is. department in, in the country. Still is. And I can tell you why that was is because they had a uh, they got a certain percentage of the sales tax. On any every dollar yeah. went towards the conservation department. Yep. Now they may have rescinded that now. I'm they not have it. Sure They're still making exactly it, Jay. That. What's that? They're still making it. Okay, so you know the the money's there. I mean, they're they're an extremely well-to-do yeah. conservation department. And and besides that, you talk about the federal funding for the CWD, and you know, so there's money. I, I'm like you, okay. Just give us the answers. Let, let us know what's going on. They're or- afraid of you making your own inferences, Jay. That's That has been the MO for every state department in wildlife for a long time is if we give you the data, like we've asked about the Sunday hunting in Pennsylvania, just show us the data. Well, after three years, let us get a three-year average, then we'll show No, no, why? Just, just show me how many deer were killed last year. That's all I want to see. They will be afraid of what conclusions you draw from that data. Okay, well, if they're afraid of the conclusions that you're going to draw, then they should be able to rebuttal whatever your conclusions you would are. Think if so. your conclusions are totally wrong, then they should, I mean, that's their job. You would think so. <laughs> I know, man. Dude, it, it's crazy. Per the whole, like, what, it seems like everybody I've ever talked to about Missouri is like, oh, man, if they would just change these, like, this magical line between here and Iowa, it's like, why don't they do that? Like it, it, I don't. It's not a money thing, right? Like if they have the money for oh, what, what we just more said, more money than any other agency. Why don't they just decide to make the deer hunting way better? Like I don't. Here's what they. Here's what they always say. They say it's tradition. Yep. And they say they would get a ton of pushback. It would, and I've heard this too. Insurance companies have a lot to do with it because they think that go. more deer will be killed if they have it during the peak of the rut. Which is, if you think about this, and I've made this point before. Okay, so if the insurance companies are worried about hitting deer, okay, and they have they have all this money going out for that every year, and you have the deer season is like a national holiday 
in the state of Missouri when it opens on the 10th of November or yep. the 11th of November this year. Okay, so during the peak of the rut, you have a national, you have a state vacation of all these people driving to their hunting places. What do you think, how many more deer do you think are gonna get hit by vehicles? A lot. That you, time you hit deer of year, in if Kansas? you move the gun season to the first week of December like Iowa does. Yep. I mean, that, so. That move that right there would change the state. It would, it would yeah. change the state tremendously with that one single move right there. Oh, that's all they'd have to do. They can leave the rifles, leave the rifles. That's no problem. You can look at Illinois. Illinois has rifles. Yep. They move their gun season. You know, I um, or uh, Kansas is that way. Kansas has rifles, but their gun season December. is December. Illinois is different. But I uh, but if Iowa's got the best of both worlds because they're you know they're they're shotgun and they move the the rut out. Now there's some things that Iowa does that I'm not real crazy about either. But I mean, you you're not going to please everybody with no. everything, but. But they're definitely doing the right thing to in, to increase the age structure. And Missouri would be unbelievable the if they would change that. I can the, the, here's one bad thing that would happen uh, is if if they ever changed the gun season to the first week of December, land prices in the state of Missouri would double overnight. So yeah, I mean people would be in there buying uh, it more so than it is now, and it's crazy yeah. how expensive it is now. Over, but over the really counter, the, two bucks. The like there's a lot of things that are checking the box for somebody who wants to come and buy land in in Missouri. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. It'll be interesting. We'll dig some stuff. I I've been trying to find a quote unquote CWD expert here for a while now. These research guys aren't going to cut it. Um, there's a couple. I can tell you one you might contact. Contact Doctor James Kroll. Yeah, I know Doctor James Kroll. I know right. Doctor Kroll. Yep. Yeah, Dr. He, Kroll is very, very versed on CWD, and he does not go. He he just tells it the way it is, and the agencies don't like him for it. But he, he worked he for so Wisconsin, right? Didn't Wisconsin hire him as a consultant or something? I I don't even I don't know what the answer to that is, but I know that he's got so much. He's forgot more than any of us will ever. I mean, he knows so much about CWD and that whole situation from the very beginning to now, he, he would be a great guest on your show. He is so, uh, he is so knowledgeable about that stuff. Be a good one. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, listen, Jay, we appreciate you coming on, dude. And, and great to get to talk to you and, and understand, you know, Jared and I kind of always do these podcasts really, cause we're just trying to find guys who are like-minded with us and, and, you know, passionate about hunting and land management and, and just, you know, everything around the, the deer hunting side. I mean, that's, that's really why we started this thing out of the gate was just to talk to other people about deer hunting. Cause we were doing it every day and figured we'd start recording it basically. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the invite to come on. You guys are doing a great job. Keep it up, and uh, I will keep watching. All right, buddy. Thanks, man. It's an honor. Well, we hope you and Wyatt have a good season. Keep us posted, and uh, good luck on the Bears up there. Okay. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Be safe. Wear that harness when you get in the tree. All yes, right, sir. Buddy. Thank you. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Muddy and Stealth Cam Trail Cameras. Cell cams, cell cams, cell cams. What an evolution the industry has seen and we've experienced personally over the past five, ten, you know, whatever. Cameras were invented, right? It's like, man, it's totally changed the way that we inventory deer, pattern deer, and ultimately the decisions that we make when we're going out to hunt. They're a serious piece of the puzzle and, and uh, you know, that information is invaluable for us. We trust the Muddy and Stealth Cams 
you know, together to be able to, to collect any of that information. Yeah, I mean, as an admitted trail cam addict, you know, I've definitely been guilty of, of under hunting places or relying too heavily on that information that's come in. That said, it's an invaluable tool to the overall management plan and strategy that I have for my own properties or even hunting public land. It doesn't matter. We have a finite amount of time in going out and hunting. So when you and I are after a particular class or quality of deer, usually a mature buck, we can't waste time hunting an area where that deer doesn't exist. And those cell cams provide that information that allow us to spend the time in the area with the highest chance to accomplish our goals. Say it all the time, man. They can't kill them if they're not there. That's it. So right now, any of our listeners can use uh, code HUNTER20 to get 20% off either Muddy or Stealth cameras. Uh, We're certainly going to be taking advantage of that, and we hope you guys do too. Yep, check out Stealth Cam and Muddy. And awesome. Mr. Gregory. Jay Gregory, man. Wild outdoors. Yeah, cool stuff to talk. That um, I think the decoy stuff's really interesting because we've had conversations about using that, and I'm just like, I don't yeah. know. You know. Oh, those DSD decoys are... It's also like... Those are awesome. I feel like I... And I'm not saying that he doesn't. I encounter a lot of young bucks prior to seeing a mature buck, usually. Yeah, I know. And so I feel you like... You run the I risk of them knocking it over. Knocking having it to walk over, out speaking, there again. Yeah, setting it back it's up. It's a lot of work, for sure. Yeah. But, I mean, if you're, like, in, in the zone on that that one buck that you're trying to kill then yeah probably it's a it's a different style i can see how once you get on it like it, you know you cling to it uh just myself personally i get this the bill wanky in me i prefer not to i don't want him to know i'm there necessarily sure. i'm even i'm a, i'm careful yeah, versus about, i will blind call but i'm careful mm-hmm. about it too i don't want i don't want to have you're to not do shirking it. off in the stand all the time i just i want to I, I don't want to give them a reason to yep. try to figure me out, you know, yep. to have to get downwind of something or to have to, mm-hmm. you know, because it's tense and the 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 the, uh, the the chances for something to go wrong, I think, are big, get I mean, increased. That's a big piece of, in many cases, why I don't like bait is I'd rather 100%. slip in 100%. Na- 100%. natural, as clean as possible, nothing out of place right. than something right. that's like, that's not natural. Right. That's not supposed to be here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that that's a big piece of it, but but definitely it's got its place. I mean I've I've lost or or missed out on several buck opportunities by calling in a giant sure. and then him not seeing anything and being like, eh, I don't I don't think so. Yep. Um, so that was cool. And yeah, CWD discussion. I, I wanted to bring that up. I know Jay's very passionate about that, and we may even have opposing views on some stuff. But there's a lot of questions that I think we all agree on that what needs some answers or or somebody can point us to the data and. You know, I'm pretty tight knit with a lot of those agency guys and, and, um, you know, I understand it's their job. It's their livelihood. There's probably things that maybe they would agree with us on, but they couldn't necessarily say, and that might, you may say, well, that sounds shitty. It's just, you know, well, it is shitty. (laughs) Frankly. I mean, that's, I mean, that's life for most of us. You got a boss that you can't say what you really feel. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And uh, that's where it comes down to. Well, yeah, I don't necessarily, I don't blame those guys for it as much as I sure. just, it doesn't seem right that, uh, you know, that information is withheld from the general public. I'll dig some too. I've got access to a lot of that stuff from, from my biologist days. And so I'll, I'll look for some there's two, things. There's there. two guys then that, uh, you know, and, and not like they, I don't, I don't know what our effort has been to reach out to them mm-hmm. or not, but we, we need to talk to Tonkovich from Ohio about the baiting stuff. And we need to talk to probably summoners or, or I know Kroll's not in the agency, but I mean, yeah, we could talk to him mm-hmm. too. But yeah, we know where, I mean, I'm, I'm all for talking to Kroll. I know where his viewpoint will be is CWD fake. Basically. Sure. Fine. I just want to see evidence. I want to see evidence to decide for myself. There's just not a whole lot of it. Yeah. 
on yeah. either side. Yeah. So it'll be it'll be interesting. I'd I'd love to have some more. I asked uh, my buddy Eric Mitchell because he's in uh, Minnesota now. Mm-hmm. You know, he get, he was the one who gave me some of those research uh, names, which I don't know, possible. But I also I think they'll just you know it'll be science over our head to where it'll be tough to digest for what we're looking for result wise. So. I don't know. We'll pull some stuff out. It, that might be one that I don't think that's a normal pod, Nick. That's probably like a CWD special type thing Okay. Um, that we try to like uh, find. And maybe we even do a couple different ones to put them all together for like a longer CWD type pod. But I just because we, we've crazy. Well, we've, we've just we've <laughs> talked about it enough on here. I don't want to beat the dead horse of of CWD and spiraling down. Um, so if if people were interested, cool, we can make something and they could listen to it. Um you know, if not, they don't have to. Fine. Same hunter, same same time type thing. You know. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, we gotta get somebody to be on it first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Uh, cool. Well, that'll do it for this week. One fifty one with Jay Gregory. Um, if you're listening to this, it's at the heart of deer season. We we I will suggest for sure watching that one. It's, you, you will have already watched this. It's too late, but I suggest watching that one with like a a, a visor. Go get yourself a visor and a, a Mickey and a little Mickey. Elf Dude, show. I had I used to have a real bad. Just kick back on that one. I used to have a real badass Corona visor. I used to wear around. Nice. <laughs> that was like circa 2002. I know exactly the visor you're talking. And about. I, I had bleach tips too. Oh, <laughs> did boy, you? Wow. Yeah. You used to, that's a 90s look. Who used to rock that? that Jay like, Gregory. <laughs> 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 yeah, we we just had Jay's him on. Like, the wait, that's me. That's me. So, he was the guy. Yep. Uh, uh, yeah. Funny. Speaking of Coronas, I have a, a six pack in my trunk right Whoa. now. I'm gonna bust oh. them out tonight. Wow, nice. It might be a little toasty in there. Speaking of Corona, you're not feeling that great right now, are you? <laughs> no, no, dude. I've I've had a headache for the past two days. That ibuprofen, whatever it was, helped. It was expired, but yeah, it still worked. But yeah. uh, yeah, I don't I don't know what was wrong. Like the last two days, I've just had a horrible headache and just felt like real sluggish. Maybe you have CWD. I might I might have CWD. Uh. Mm. all right anyways 151 jay gregory uh go out hunt enjoy it be safe enjoy see you next week later it's taking me